Well, what is up, all of our liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Liberty at Night with Nate and Charlie on the Free Talk Live Network coming at you from Nashville, Tennessee. I almost forgot to say it again there at the beginning. we got to say Nashville because that's something you do on the radio. you got to tell people what town you're in because they're Nash all... Nash Vegas. Nash Vegas, for mm-hmm. sure. We've been downtown a couple times in the last couple weeks. To Home see of shows. the bachelorette parties. It is. Yeah. That is a true story, for sure. So all the ladies listening out there, we'll see you in Nashville soon. All the time. We're out there partying all the time, from what I can remember. Yeah. We are always out there. Mm-hmm. So anyway, this is, uh, like That's I just said, on the streets. this is technically a podcast called Good Morning Liberty. By night, on the radio, we are known as Liberty at Night. Uh, but we talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of meaning every single day of the week when we want to. And here, I wanted to let you know something. Mm-hmm. I have a condo with nothing but... <laughs> God bless. Okay. So Char- while Charlie's doing Jay-Z lyrics over yeah. here, I believe is what's happening, uh, we'll tell you about Liberty and stuff. Charlie's gone for the rest of the week. I am. Is this his only day here because we didn't do a live episode yesterday. Actually, I'll be back Friday, but you're probably traveling that afternoon, I bet. I'm not. I'm here all weekend. Oh. Yeah, Lacey's out of town this weekend. Nice. So, I mean, there'll be people at the house, but, you know. <laughs> not be busy. Lacey. Yeah, just not Lacey. So... I'll be bash. I'm going to watch all of the sci-fi movies I can. I bet you're going to take horror naps. movies. Oh my god, the you're- sleep numbers are going to be yeah. ridiculous this mm-hmm. weekend. No, I'm going to be doing. Oh yeah, Harold, let me put Nate's address in the live group. <laughs> Go ahead and put it in there. We'll have a pool party Fade, at my house. Yeah, Fed Haters Club. Y'all come visit <laughs> Nate this weekend. <laughs> Okay, so it's Tuesday. There are some things in the news. There is an update to a funny story that happened over the weekend. So a lot of people have already talked about this uh, story on yesterday's news cycle. But there is a little bit more of an update to it right now. Charlie, did you hear that Canada uh, recognized and honored a literal Nazi in their uh, parliament? No. Yeah. Well, it's because he was a Ukrainian. And oh. so they honored him. He's like 98 years old because of this guy's been fighting for Ukraine. Turns out the guy was an actual Nazi in, in the SS. Like a legit <laughs> real SS. Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> well, you have to thank your veterans. You know, you do. Yeah. <laughs> but he's from Ukraine, so it's okay. Yeah. That's yeah. the thing. He Ukrainian the- Nazis are in these days. Well, we're, yeah, we're trying to help them. Yeah. Um. So this, let's see, Canadian Parliament honors man who fought for Nazis Speaker regrets his decision. So the Mm. guy, I will say they didn't actually plan this honoring. I think the guy happened to be there for some reason. And the speaker kind of off the cuff uh, was told about him and honored him for all his fight uh, for, for Ukraine and all that. And it turns out some people did about two seconds worth of digging and found out that the guy was an actual Nazi. Someone didn't do their homework. So we got uh, some videos and stuff, but um, the speaker of can of, Canada's House of Commons apologized for recognizing a man who fought for a Nazi military unit during World War II. Uh, just after Ukrainian President Zelensky delivered an address in the House of Commons Friday, Canadian lawmakers gave 98-year-old Yaroslav Hunka a standing ovation when Speaker Anthony Rada drew attention to him. Rada introduced Hunka as a war hero who, who fought for the first Ukrainian division. Why was he there? I'm not sure so why, why was he this was guy there. I'm not sure why he was actually with. there. I have not been able to find anything on that. Here's just a little clip of them giving him the uh, the ovation. Oh gosh! His speech received at least a dozen standing ovations. There was- There's the guy. 
There's also one for this man, a 98-year-old Ukrainian-Canadian who fought for Ukrainian independence against the Russians during the Second World War. Okay. A Nazi. So they uh, they honored this guy, fought for the first Ukrainian, what was it, unit or whatever they called it. But uh, that was also, uh, let me see if I can figure out the, let me get back to the thing. Jeez, where's the thing? Okay, there we go. Uh, the guy apologized with the speaker of the House of Commons apologized. Of course, he didn't know the guy was an actual uh, Nazi. So that's embarrassing. Although, I don't know. Like I said, Ukrainian Nazis are pretty okay. Rada called him a Ukrainian hero, uh, hero and a Canadian hero because now he lives in uh, Canada, like a lot of other Nazis. And we thank him for all his service. Uh, let me see. If they name it was the Waffen SS right there or the 14th Waffen Division, a volunteer unit that was under the command of the Nazis. Mm. Okay, so, you know, confusing history there with what happened. Germany was going around just invading a lot of different places, taking the place over. And uh, Russia was going around and just, you know, doing their Russia thing. It wasn't that confusing because, hang on, you forgot to read the bottom part, which the Friends of Simon Westenthal Center for Holocaust Studies issued a statement Sunday saying that his division, this guy's division, quote, was responsible for the mass murder of innocent civilians with a level of brutality and malice that is unimaginable. Huh. Hmm. Okay. Hero. Well, well, that's not good. Yeah. That's not, I'm trying to, I've, I'm trying to see if we could figure out why the guy was actually here. Um, the overly veteran Hunka was honored during the session. Uh, Zelensky addressed the lawmakers that thank them for the support since Russia invaded saying Canada has always been on the bright side of history. The speaker who compared Zelensky to Winston Churchill <laughs> Same, same. Recognized a veteran from the Second World War who fought for Ukrainian independence against the Russians and continues to support the troops today, even at his age of 98. So he's still supporting the Nazis. So he's still a Nazi. Still. <laughs> that's uh, that's yeah. what we got. Now, a couple little updates I'm on this. some Nazis. This is interesting. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen with it, but since they found the guy, um, extradition is now being sought of this uh, SS Nazi veteran who was honored by... The uh, Canadian Parliament, the Polish government, a Polish government minister has launched a bid to extradite Hunka, the 98-year-old Ukrainian-Canadian who fought for a Nazi division during World War II. Uh, So they're like, oh, there's that guy. Um, Oh, here's a war criminal. (laughs) Look, we found the war criminal. He's still alive. (laughs) Be an honor. (laughs) Man. This guy went from having the best night ever (laughs) to like, oh, no. Like in the group, never mind, this is a white pill. <laughs> it turns out. Yeah. You never think, I mean, this guy's life turned around really quickly. Here he is being 98 in Canada, you know, and being a Nazi and getting away with it, even getting honored up there when they're talking about Ukraine. And unfortunately, the clip and the story goes viral enough uh, that now they're seeking extradition for, <laughs> for, for war, war crimes. crimes. <laughs> Hey, I don't think there's any statute of limitations on. on I don't know crimes. what they. I don't yeah. know when that runs out. Mm-hmm. Um, Justin Trudeau, by the way, had some words to say about it. He did apologize for it and blamed Russian disinformation. 
I don't really know where he was going with this, but he wants you to know that it's not their fault. <laughs> Here's what he had to say. That's what he wants you to know. Obviously, it's extremely upsetting that this happened. Uh, the speaker speaker has uh, acknowledged his mistake uh, and has apologized. Uh, but this is something that is deeply embarrassing to the Parliament of Canada and, by extension, to all Canadians. I think particularly of Jewish MPs and all members of the Jewish community across the country who are uh, celebrating Yom, or commemorating Yom Kippur today. Uh, I think it's going to be really important that all of us push back against Russian propaganda, Russian disinformation, and continue our steadfast and unequivocal support for Ukraine uh, as uh, we did last week with announcing uh, further measures to stand with Ukraine in uh, Russia's illegal... The uh, the Russian disinformation, I think, is that Ukraine has a bunch of Nazis, and this is at a time where he's apologizing for recognizing a Ukrainian Nazi. Yeah, yeah. So he wants you to know <laughs> that even though it's embarrassing, see, he, he's sorry that it's embarrassing. He's not actually mm-hmm. sorry that they recognized a Nazi. No, he's sorry that it was embarrassing, and then he wants you to know that this is the only Nazi from Ukraine. All the other Ukrainians. <laughs> are fine and if you hear about them being nazis that's just russian disinformation politico worded this in a clever clever way nazi linked veteran received ovation during Zelensky's canada visit now nazi linked that puts you right up there yep. with being donald trump basically he was a nazi <laughs> he, he had was, a swastika <laughs> he was a literal nazi but politico decides to say that this was a nazi linked veteran mm. you know the the ss they were different yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) okay so i love the readers added context here he was an ss soldier that is far more than merely a link yeah so good job on the community notes uh right there okay let's move on to something else now this kind of comes across as a a, this this actual story is a white pill for the very similar hair for the individual uh the of who with who you and gavin oh yeah thanks yeah he's, he's got a little more gray than a little you. bit more gray yeah mm-hmm. but very similar so is that your dad <laughs> um, are you a california communist shill no pretending no definitely not yeah it's definitely not. Are you a deeply closeted communist? <laughs> no, I'm not. Okay, um, this is this is a white pill for individual families in California. Although I'm taking it as something else um, because I'm allergic to white pills, but it is good news. Newsom vetoed a controversial gender identity bill in California. Now, this is a bill that was basically going to direct judges. Uh, to take into account this, the kid's gender identity and whether or not one of the parents uh, was affirming the gender identity and one of the parents wasn't uh, in custody disputes and things like that. Now they Which can all, parent wins? They, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. No way of knowing. You should have duels for that. Um, and so they were going to be doing that, and that's not, uh, that's not something I agree with. Okay, but they they still can do that because they are supposed to take the health and wellness of the child into account. And if they want to read that into health and wellness, then they can do that. But he vetoed this and he uh, he vetoed another bill that we'll talk about here in a second. Um, This one's actually in the show notes right here. It's the first article in the show notes. And we'll talk about why he vetoed two progressive hard left bills uh, last week. Hmm. I think it's 
I think it's a bad reason, oh. but we'll see. You want to you want to do this, this guy one? Might be running for yeah, El Presidente. I think he doesn't want to have these on his record. <sighs> hmm. All right. Uh, this is from National Review. Deviating from his past legislative support of transgender youth in California, Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom vetoed a bill that would have required parents to demonstrate affirmation of their child's gender identity in custody court battles. Under California Bill AB 957, judges would have been legally obligated to specifically consider whether parents have affirmed their child's gender identity or gender expression in determining the health, safety, and welfare of the child. The California State Assembly passed the bill along strictly party lines earlier this month, hoping hoping to advance transgender rights in the state. Just for a second, can we... Can we comment on the fact that this is a ridiculous, disgusting bill? Yes, absolutely gross. And also forcing judges to be legally obligated to specifically consider. I mean, this already happens. We've already heard stories of of this happening where parents losing their rights because they weren't affirming their child's uh, gender dreams. Um, But actually directing them and being legally obligated to look at this, uh, that takes it a step further for sure. He said, Newsom said in a statement late Friday night, he appreciates the passion and values that the assembly member Democratic Lori, uh, Democratic assembly member Lori Wilson for authoring the bill, but disclosed he couldn't sign it. Quote, I share a deep commitment to advancing the rights of transgender Californians, an effort that has guided my decisions through many decades in public office, except I'm not going to write. I'm not going to sign this one. He must have had that pill, that pen from Liar Liar. You know, write it or I'll break it off. He said, uh, that said, I urge caution when the executive and legislative branches of state government attempt to dictate in prescriptive, I'm sorry, in prescriptive terms that single out one characteristic legal standards for the judicial branch to apply. That's that's like. That's a weird quote coming from Gavin Newsom. Kind of weird from this guy. (laughs) Other minded elected officials in California and other states could very well use this strategy to diminish the civil rights of vulnerable communities. It is kind of like, how can the legislative branch dictate to the judicial branch what they must review? I mean, I guess they can't. Yeah. And somehow he recognized this. Nonetheless, the California governor, uh, governor noted judges are still, quote, required to consider a child's health, safety and welfare in the context of their gender identity when hearing out parents in child custody cases, even if the bill wasn't signed. Moreover, a court under existing law is required to consider a child's health, safety and welfare. Following the governor's veto, Wilson expressed her disappointment with the decision. I am extremely disappointed we can't mutilate children. <laughs> As many children as I wanted to mutilate. Um, I added that emphasis. That added. was not her quote. Emphasis added okay. by Chuck. Yeah. Yeah. Now she says, quote, I am extremely disappointed. I know the governor's record. He's been a champion for the LGBTQ plus community for years. And even before it was a popular, even before it was popular to do so. Now, is it popular? Miss Wilson. Um, I think, well, not the kids thing. Not, no, no, not, not super popular there. No. However, on allowing this, people to be who they want to be as adults, I think is pretty popular. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Maybe it's uh, maybe 50, 50 there. The whole, what is a woman thing kind of really put a damper on that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
But if people want to be who they want to be, mm-hmm. it just doesn't mean that you, you know, you're going to force me to bend the truth on your behalf and, and call you a different word. Now, if you've legally changed your name, that's one thing I, I will say. Uh, I think people like even Jordan Peterson or some of the others will take it too far and calling, you know, like a uh, Elliot Ellen page, Ellen Elliot page. Mm. If she's legally changed her name, <laughs> you're dead naming her on the radio. I'm dead gendering. Uh. If, if the legal name is Ellen now and you're like Elliot, you're like, okay, well you weren't born like your human being. Like it just was Elliot, like natural to your man. And though your, your parents gave you that as your legal name. If you change your legal name, you don't have to be a, a D bag about saying the, the old name. Like people change their names. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. They you, do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now the gender part, that's different. Right. Um, she continues on saying that uh, her bill was intended to give the trans community a voice, particularly in the family court system where non-affirming parent could have a detrimental impact on the mental health and well-being of a child. What if the affirming parent had a detrimental <laughs> impact on the mental health and well-being of a child? And how do you determine this? Because all the evidence they use science Charlie. is garbage. It's science, though. Mm-hmm. There is a couple studies that follow yeah. people for a year. Scott, Scott Weiner was a little bit louder about this. He said this veto is a tragedy mm. for trans kids here and around the country. Weiner posted on X, formerly known as Twitter. These kids are living in fear with right wing politicians and Democratic governors <laughs> working to out them, deny them health care, ban them from sports and restrooms, erase their humanity. California needs to unequivocally stand with these kids. Now, if you look at polls, we were talking about whether or not things are popular. As far as national polling goes, not that that always matters, but it does give you a little bit of a temperature reading on the country. Like 73% of the country thinks that people should perform the sport of their uh, biological sex, sex, you know, and not whatever they are identifying as. And so it's not just hardcore right wing Christian conservatives or whatever they're doing this. Like that's mm-hmm. a pretty common yep. hell belief right now. So anyway, <sighs> gross. That's one. Let's look at one more. Newsom also veto the California. I was surprised by this too. a California bill to have human drivers ride in autonomous trucks. So autonomous shipping, it's going to be a thing coming. I guess it already is a thing in some, in some places, but and I gotta let you know, look, if you're a truck driver right now, this has been, we've been talking about this for six years yeah. at least. Okay. The riding is on the side of your trailer it on is. the truck. Yeah. It literally it's, they're riding it on there and it's AI. Yeah. You should read it. And because there aren't, those jobs are going to go away. They will. They will. And in the next five to 10 years, And I believe this was more than likely a union or something that was pushing in this bill to have like, okay, even if you have an autonomous truck, you got to pay a driver to, to, to ride. Are you just a truck rider at that point? Like, Oh, what's your husband doing? He's a truck rider. He's, you know, he watches Netflix going down the road, (laughs) making sure the computer don't mess nothing up. So they wanted to have someone in there, even though it was an autonomous truck. 
And that's what the bill was going to say. See a bill to require human drivers on board self-driving trucks, a measure that union leaders and truck drivers said would save hundreds of thousands of jobs in the state. And here's the thing, truck drivers. I don't want you to go without a job. I want you to have a job. But you have to know, like, as innovation spurs, the certain jobs end up going away. And you can take the skills you have. I'm sure you're a great driver. I'm sure you know a lot about mechanics. I know most truck drivers can fix things themselves. They know how to work machinery and all kinds. You have have a particular, you have a very particular set of skills. Mm -hmm. Okay? And you can increase those skills and start to maybe get a side hustle or go back to school or whatever it is. Uh, because when your job goes away, that way you're prepared. You take responsibility for yourself and your family and you're prepared for when your job goes away. You don't try to get the government. Then this is the thing that makes me upset about conservatives. Sometimes it's like you don't try to get the government to coerce the free market that you believe in. Yeah. By the way, you believe in the free market. You don't get the government to coerce the free market. So you get to keep a job. Well, that's the thing. Like, the these people who work it's not that it's not sad that they could lose their job that they've had for a long time and the way that they're earning the living what you want is for them to have other uh, workforces that they can go into other other jobs that they can go into but you can't stop you, you can't stop technology from changing the way that we do things and if we no longer need someone in the truck if that can help us maybe it can make shipping cheaper Maybe it can make things faster because we're not worried about the driver's schedule and stuff like that. Maybe eventually it's it's probably going to be safer, more than likely. Um, if if it can make things better, then that's it's better for everyone. And so you don't just want to save the jobs of the people that are driving trucks right now to the detriment of the entire country, which is a lot of what the protectionist job policies do. They just try to save that one person's job or maybe a million people's jobs to the detriment of 330 million people and then act like the country's better off because of what, what is better or, is, or, you know, you lose a million jobs, but because of the new industry that's created, that could have, you know, created 5 million jobs. So now mm-hmm. you're sacrificing the potential yeah. jobs that would have been created in other industries yep. for the protection of these. Absolutely. And there's an, un- ones. there's an unseen problem right there. We don't know what that increased efficiency is going to do, yeah. what the new technology is going to do. But you can look at history. Mm-hmm. What did the internet do? There's a lot of people who work mm-hmm. on the internet. Yeah, a lot of people. That, that they didn't it, used to work on the internet. No, because it didn't mm-hmm. exist. Mm-hmm. Coming up, we're going to talk about why Joe Biden is in some big trouble for the election in 2024 on Free Talk Live. This hour of Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. Dash is the cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. In addition to being one of the world's first cryptocurrencies, Dash was the first crypto project to have a decentralized autonomous organization that to this day continues to improve and promote Dash. Every month, 10% of the mining rewards go into a treasury. Anyone with one Dash to spend can put forward a proposal to the Dash masternodes. The masternodes vet the proposals and decide which ones move forward and are funded by that treasury. Nowadays, DAOs are plentiful, but Dash paved the way by doing it first nearly a decade ago. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges, including the decentralized Maya Protocol and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use Dash. Start by learning more at Dash.org. 
Thanks to the Dash DAO for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash.org to learn about Dash. Dash.org. Liberty at Night with Nate and Charlie on the Free Talk Live Network coming at you from Nashville, Tennessee. We're going to talk about why Joe Biden is in such big trouble. I heard on the radio that there was a new Washington Post ABC news poll that showed Trump ahead by 10 points really? over Joe Biden. You heard that? I heard that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe you I heard, heard it because I was looking at it on mm-hmm. the internet. Yeah, probably. you heard that. So I searched... Trump ahead by 10 points on DuckDuckGo, even. And the top three news results are a poll showing Trump 10 points ahead of Biden is being ridiculed. Here's why. The next one, poll showing Trump up by 10 points over Biden for 2024 election, criticized. Number three, Washington Post calls its own poll showing Trump beating Biden by 10 points, an outlier. And so those are my... I can't actually get to the poll and wow. see what's going on. Uh, they want me to know not to listen to what this poll says. It is an outlier, by the way. There aren't any other polls showing Trump ahead by 10. They're all like one or two. Although this <clears throat> this reminds me of something I've seen before. When yeah. was it? Hmm. Oh, 2016. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when there I, were outlying polls that showed Trump ahead of Clinton. I'm still on the record saying that there's no way Trump wins this election. I'm on the record so, saying he'll win it from prison. You are, you are, you said that he's mm-hmm. going to win and I said he's not. And so we'll see who's right. Yeah. Last time I, I ate my words for 2020. <clears throat> you literally, I, you wrote words on a piece of paper and I ate those. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't swallow, but <laughs> I did eat them. So Trump scores eye-popping 10-point lead over Biden in new poll. This is a poll of a 1,000 people. You know what we think about polls, uh, but we do use these to get a snapshot, and sometimes they are correct. I will, however, point out. So now Gavin Newsom is running. Well, I will, well we'll look at his. His numbers are included in this, too, and it's not good. But I will, however, point out that there aren't any outlying polls showing Biden ahead by 10 points. There's only an outlier poll showing Trump ahead by 10 points and most of the other polls showing Trump ahead by one or two, something like that. Mm. Uh, overall, when you average all of them, I think Trump is like plus two or yeah. something. So we don't have an outlier hey, Biden crushing Trump poll. We get Trump we'll have four more years of entertainment. God bless. Yes. I don't see a good I don't see a good outcome. <laughs> 2024's election has zero good outcomes. Who would be a good outcome, though? I mean, there are people that could be a better outcome. Yeah, that's true. I think. I wanted to look at a few of these things before we talk about the economic situation. Oh, they print this in 1987? It's very old. Yeah. Yeah. When this thing printed, this is... it went... Yeah, <laughs> 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 yeah. to put the paper on the roll. This with the little... Definitely Here's looks like an it. IBM report. <laughs> this is done on IBM. I've See, seen this kind of report before. This current one, September 20th, shows Trump 51, Biden 42. How about that? Now, if you look at some of the alternatives, now, first off, we'll look at the economic situation here uh, because I think this is a pretty important one. Would you say that you're better off or not as well off now that Biden is president or since Biden became president? Um, not as well off. 44% of the respondents said not as well off. Up. And when you go 
further back, that number goes down and then they do it for each president. So when Trump came in office, were you better off financially than you were in the previous administration? And so with Trump, not as well off, only 13% of people said that they were not as well off as they were under Biden or Obama. And then when Obama was president, that was in the 20s and 30s. W, he was in the 30s. Clinton, that was down more in the teens overall, as you can kind of see what the economic performance is. But 44% of people saying that they are not as well off as they were. So since 1994, that's the worst, literally. This is the worst that we got since 1986. It goes back to Reagan here. Um, 20% of people say it's not as well off. So 1986, this is the highest. So what you're saying is Bidenomics is worse than trickle down. I guess. According to the polls. Here's a current issue that you see down at the bottom. Do you think the United States is doing too much or too little to support Ukraine in its war with Russia? Interesting. In April of 2022, so right after the invasion, 37% of people said that they, that we were doing too little, too little to support Ukraine. And now and that has changed to eight, only 18% of people are saying that we're doing too little. 41% of people are saying that we're doing too much. It's mostly Canadians. <laughs> and so <laughs> what's changed here, I think is people's economic situation. And they're starting to see money go to other places. They're mm. starting to see that we are paying for the salaries, like 50,000 salaries for say their uh, firefighters and, and uh, different government workers like that. Um, and also in your own pocketbooks, you're uh, at, by this point, you're paying about an extra thousand dollars a month. Basically. To live like you did uh, just a year ago. If you have a family, probably about mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Something, something like For that. For the average family of four. Yes. Now, luckily you saved $2,500 yeah. on your health insurance mm-hmm. and you got to keep so your doctor. Offsets. So yeah, mm-hmm. well, you're still 1500 in the positive. Thanks to Obama. Thanks, thanks to Obama. Yeah. Thank you. That's all a joke. Uh, just in case no one knew yeah. now, here's what, what is concerning we are for fluent the, in sarcasm for the Democrat party in general. Here's what's concerning for them. Um, who do you, who would you like the Democrat party to nominate as its candidate for president in 2024? Uh, these are other than Biden here. Kamala Harris is at 8%. Bernie Sanders is at 8%. RFK Jr. is at 7%. Gavin Newsom is at 3 Mm. So while my theory on him vetoing those bills, what's even better is just someone else is at 20 yes. percent and then no opinions at 40 percent. Now, when you say nominate Biden, it's only 33 uh, percent say nominate Biden, nominate someone else net of everyone is is 62 uh, percent say nominate someone else other than Biden. Two thirds say someone else. Only one third <laughs> say. That's know, not good. Higher grandpa. Not good for Biden. Mm-mm. And so I wanted to bring this into a numbers. Real, numbers don't lie. They don't lie. And I mean, this is a poll. It's of about a thousand people. And I will say it was um, Republican or lean Republican and Democrat or lean Democrat. I don't know if you can say that that includes independents because they are independents. And so it's going to matter who ends up winning those people, as usual. Those are basically the most important. But it's pretty bad vote. when your own team mm-hmm. is saying, "Like, yeah, you're, yeah, we don't want you to kick the ball for us anymore. Yeah, you missed too many field goals, chip shots." Now, kind of in a, you remember the word, "We're worse off than we were before." Forty-four um, percent was that the number? I think. Mm. Um, Corey Bush says now. 
more than ever, workers are putting in longer hours and for stagnant pay. The labor movement is working to change that. So we're talking about all these strikes going on. I support the push for a four-day, 32-hour work week. Mm. Now, interestingly enough... I have a problem with this. Do you? Yeah. What's that? She's not going far enough. Yeah? Yeah. 32 too much? Yeah, 32 hours is still way too much. basically slavery. And four days a week, and you only get three days off. Mm. I say still working over half the week i support the push for no work mm. but you still get paid for your for your 40 hours work fine and, and we should not settle for anything less than a million dollars an hour i'm do you think you think i think everybody would be you know they would be doing okay if they made 40 million a week it's the only common sense solution it is mm-hmm. yeah i don't know why if you care about workers that is why why are we yeah. piddling with these little numbers here i don't know they don't, you know? they don't make any sense to me. It's ridiculous. All right, so I wanted to look at, I wanted to test this theory. Now more than ever, workers are putting in longer hours for stagnant pay. We're not going to bring inflation in yet. Longer hours for stagnant pay. So this took me just a second. Did you know the Fred has an app? They got an iPhone app pretty quick. Oh, you can get on here and look. Nice. Um, so we got the Fred iPhone app on here. Thanks, Fred. Average weekly hours of all employees, by the way, sits around 34.4 average weekly. We're fighting for 32. It's a big battle right now. Uh, but the average weekly hours. is 34.4. By the time you sit on the on the pooper, you know, you're probably That's, I mean, let's be honest. Yeah, you're you know, your few of those are trash hours anyway. I hear that if you take a poop every day at work, you basically get like a, a full week's worth of vacation by the year <laughs> by the time the year's up, you know. So get your extra week of vacation there you on go. the throne. Mm-hmm. So longer hours. Um, no, we we had average weekly hours of all employees that spiked up during COVID, but that's because a bunch of people got fired or let go. And so the people who did stay and work, they worked longer hours. Okay, <laughs> the so, average up. so it spiked up during COVID, but now it's back down to normal. So can you say longer hours? You No, you cannot say longer hours. And stagnant pay, now that's questionable. The average hourly earnings over this uh, over this time frame we're looking at, 2007 to right now, has gone from $20 an hour. Now, this is, this is average hourly earnings. This takes everyone into account, okay? So... But this is not what Oliver <clears throat> Anthony said. No. No. Yeah. I'm telling you, that guy's going to be a Bernie Sanders supporter in, in less than a year. Mm-hmm. I'm, I can see it. I'm just saying he's going to say he doesn't like a lot of stuff about him because you don't like redheads. It's going to no. I'm just saying he's going to support the workers. You're, you don't like red beards. <laughs> that's what it is. Um, twenty bucks an hour, and that's now sitting around thirty three and a half dollars an hour over the same time frame of the. It feels like you're making fifteen. Okay, so let's look at that for a second. Uh, I did because this is not quite enough because you got to bring inflation into the conversation that's why you feel now, like it's stagnant i posted these two or things worse i posted these two things because as far as companies are concerned are you having people work longer hours no we're not getting that right now and are hourly earnings sitting stagnant as far as what the companies are paying people no what's happening inflation that's what's happening because the actual earnings have gone up like 60 something percent over the time frame that we're looking at right now. And so what's happened is inflation has taken these gains 
uh, away from people. They've been trying to catch up with it, but as we've said a billion times by now, it's always a dog chasing its tail. That's the mm-hmm. that's the way that it works. So, or in the case of my dog, he's chasing his testicles couch, that are being chopped want, off. Oh yeah, how's that going? Being chopped you off right now at the vet <laughs> as we speak. As poor Simba, you know, mm, just imagine it. Picture it in your head, stripping that manhood mm. right from him. Gosh. Um, average hourly earnings, and uh, then we've got the CPI. Now, this still shows average hourly earnings over the same time frame right now. Uh, starting in 2007, have gone up 67%, and CPI has gone up 53% since then. So if you just strictly look at the average hourly earnings of all employees in the labor force, it is still beating inflation at the moment. Here's what's bad for Biden coming up. Here is during the time that Trump was president. Average hourly earnings went up 14.25% and CPI went up 7.72% over that time frame. So workers seeing real wage gains during that time. During the Biden time period right now, you see on top, CPI has gone up 18%. And average hourly earnings have gone up 12.9%. Mm. And so you've seen real wage declines during this time. And so once again, it's not as if all of a sudden companies stop paying people, corporations stop paying people. What happened was our inflation rate jumped up over the top of what the wage gains were. And I know what you're thinking. Average hourly earnings for all employees, that's, that's not a good enough picture to look at. So we looked, now we're going to look at this. Okay, so we've got all employees. We've got the average weekly hours. We've got, then we have it separated out by manufacturing, leisure and hospitality, and production, non-supervisory workers. And if you learn in pictures, you should go to YouTube and watch. <laughs> if, if that's better for Nate you. brings in all these graphs. He's basically taking you to class. And this is, you know, this is your class right now. Those that can't do teach. So what you'll see since 2000. <laughs> well, you'll see. You're since, a great uh, teacher, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Since 2007, uh, the red line seven, huh? is CPI, and what we have is all of those average weekly, or sorry, uh, manufacturing in there, all employees, leisure and hospitality, production, non-supervisory workers separated out. And so if you want to say, well, what are, that's the average hourly earnings of all the people, well, that's taken into account all the bosses and managers and administrators and all those people that are getting fat paychecks. Actually, the production and non-supervisory employees has risen more than the average overall. Uh, so that's something to, uh, to look at there. Uh, you've got leisure and hospitality went up 81%. And then you see they're still all up over the, uh, the CPI since 2007 right now. Caveat, by the way, our CPI number is fake and mm. not the one that we used to use. And so you take into account the actual CPI. Yes, we know that 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 is uh, likely not as rosy of a picture. And then when you look at uh, since even since when Joe Biden took office, the one that is toying uh, with. Uh, well, there's a, a few things that are be- beneath the CPI right now. And I believe the things we have beneath, we've got uh, production and non-supervisory employees. We've got manufacturing. We've got the average hourly earnings of all employees. The only one above it is leisure and hospitality. So strangely enough, even with COVID, huh? Up over, up over CPI right now. And then also this yellow line down here at the bottom, we're just looking at this. That's the average hours worked per week uh, since even since Biden took office have gone down. 0.58% since taking office. 
And what you'll really find here with this chart is that it's it's CPI that's throwing everything off. But first off, for Cory Bush, no, people are not working longer hours for stagnant pay. Uh, they're working the same hours or less, according to the data. Doesn't mean that there aren't individual cases of people working mm-hmm. more or people working multiple jobs or whatever, whatever it could be. Uh, but the big problem that we have here is inflation. And that is why Biden is in such big trouble, not just because he's so old. Okay. Cause it's, it's coming for him. Mm-hmm. Okay. We know that that sickle of death is going to hit him eventually. It, inflation is the, we call it the hidden tax, but really I think we should rename it to like the insidious tax mm. because pe- pe- a lot of people get confused on why, cause they feel that they feel like they're working longer and harder for less pay. Yeah. And then you feel like you can't live the quality of life that you used to live. And you're like, what is happening? You know, I just got this cost of living raise at work, but it's doing, it's not even making a dent or a yeah. scratch. And so inflation is really an insidious tax that keeps people confused. And it's a way for them to extrapolate money out of the economy. And, and that's why we talk about it so much because it's, it's extremely dangerous. And if it gets out of hand, it's what leads to some of the worst times in history imaginable. Mm. The scariest environment imaginable. It can get pretty bad. And and I, I say history, like recent history, like Venezuela, like 10 years ago. And so when I mentioned, when inflation was mentioned on uh, my, my comment that I made on Corey Bush's post, um, people said, well, you know, when you look at inflation, I said, well, you got to talk to the government about that. They're the one who prints the money. You know, corporations can help that. And they said, no, it's not. Government has nothing to do with it. It's all corporations price gouging people doing it. It's greed that's that's doing that. And so I don't know really how to fight against this argument other than to just say what the truth is. Uh, Corporations are no less greedy or more greedy than they've ever been. They're always reacting to what people's buying power is. So there's a reason that inflation was nine percent. Uh, last year in the summer, and it's 3.7% right now. It's because there's less extra money flowing around in the economy. And it's because they, the STEMI checks have started to run out. The interest rates went up. And so people are less likely to be spending on, on, on easy money, credit, stuff like that. And still a lot of people spending on credit right now. It's always a reaction to what the buying power is of the people that are that are purchasing the product. Here's a great question from the Fed Haters Club, which you can go uh, sign up for by going to joingmail.com or go to godhatesfeds.com. Stone Steve Cold Austin, he wants to know, <laughs> you know, after opening the can of whoop ass, if we started having deflation as steady as we've had inflation, would that be just as bad? Okay. Um, I think it depends on what kind of deflation like I, I think prices coming down on different products is a is a good thing uh i will well, it can be a bad thing when you have a central bank yeah now what i'm going to admit is that i have more studying to do on this topic and uh, maybe if you're listening right now you can uh you'll have this shout out even though i can't remember your name um that uh there are good economists on the um on the austrian side of economics that have made arguments for why deflation is not a bad thing i'm just thinking of uh investors and business owners uh, and even consumers if you see a massive amount of monetary deflation if you see prices going down uh that you can be more likely to 
wait and wait and keep waiting and you don't want to let it get to a point where there's no economic activity because everyone knows that if they wait until next week things are just going to be cheaper and so anything that you do is a bad investment because you will always lose money on it and so you don't want to be the person that does it now when this is going to go on for six more months after that and you could have got it for a way better price unless you're writing it down like that Mm -hmm. but i think different staggered individual amounts of deflation and prices are a good thing. And what we, what we really need is uh, for prices to hold steady on things. Why our buying power increases and productivity increases, not just, not just buying power with fake funny money. We need more productivity to increase, to offset this. And one big problem we have is that our feelings or perception is extremely skewed because we've had, now a hundred years of these boom and bust cycles that are extremely exaggerated compared to what they would be in a true free market. Mm -hmm. And so now after generations of this type of cycle, it's hard to the, the opinions are coming from a place of where we have these periods of hyperinflation or hyperdeflation, essentially Mm. the boom and the boom and bust are extremely exaggerated from what they would typically be. And I was actually talking to a friend about this the other night, um, last Friday, one of the smartest guys I know he's, he's an executive at a, at a huge company. Oh, I thought you were talking about me. First. No, no, like, this guy's way okay. smarter. Um, <laughs> and I was talking to him about all this stuff. And so I, we were talking about that and I was like, well, he's like, but is, hasn't that always been true? And I was like, well, if you look at, you know, if you look at post civil war up until about 1913, when the central bank, you know, uh, even with World War One, there you don't see the ex- as much exaggeration uh, in the in the market as you do after the central bank is created. Mm-hmm. It's you still have ups and downs because that's a natural flowing process. I mean, everything and we can go into well, quantum, there's no there's no utopia. We can go into quantum physics here if you want to. Everything's a wave. <laughs> Everything. Yeah. It's all the vibration. You are a vibration <laughs> of the car. Feels good. Yeah. Okay. Everything is a wave. It goes up and down, up and down. Your emotions, you know, your relationships, your everything is a wave, including the economy. And so it's, it's hard. These discussions make it, it's been, they've been made harder because it's a lot scarier to have these massive moves. Mm-hmm. You know, when the waves, you know, it's like a big roller coaster. You're going way up and then way down versus like just a smooth little, it's like doing class five rapids versus class one. So I want to go back to class one. There's a couple of things from the group before we get out of here. I do have to go. Um, so you're I know. Sign off. Yeah. Um, a couple of things in the group before we get out of here. Love you. Bye. Um, ideally, I think someone said neither inflation nor deflation. I think that's really what we would want. The reason that they keep that 2% inflation goal is because they are so scared of deflation and so as we have fluctuations in the inflation amount, whether it's, so if they're sitting at 2% and it fluctuates down to 1% uh, or it fluctuates down to 0.5, uh, they would rather not, they would rather that not dip down below zero. And so the reason they keep that target is to, it's also to incentivize spending and consumption in the economy. So we, we would disagree with that part also. Uh, but they, they're also too scared of what would happen when it dips down below zero. And so they keep a buffer above it. And they think that the corporations and people's earnings and our productivity 
can keep in line with the 2% because we also have a target of like 2% GDP growth all the time that we want to be keeping. So that's why they keep that uh, right there. Uh, Stone Steve Cole Austin, he also said it incentivizes savings though, the deflation. And that is true. Like if you're not going to go out and spend uh, because you get a better deal, you keep the same amount of money, that money can be worth way more later in the future. That's true. I think the worry is that you grind down to no economic activity at all. That's the big one. That's like your Great Depression type thing that they're worried about. I'm not going to talk anymore on this, though, uh, because I'm out of I will say when I'm out of my depth and deflation is not something I've spent a ton of time on. So but one of our listeners did tell me to to read up on what I believe some of the Austrian economists have said on this. And I am going to do that. I think I've spent a lot more time listening to Chicago economists like this morning. I've already spent about an hour listening to Milton Friedman this morning. So I spent a lot more time with the Chicago guys than the uh, Austrian guys. So maybe they've clouded my school thought on this issue. Coming up, we got a couple interviews with some experts in their field Liberty Night with Nate and Charlie on the Free Talk Live Network. Eleutheromania, the insatiable desire for freedom. It's the new three-song heavy metal EP from Captain Kickass. Available now on your favorite music app or get it directly from CaptainKickass.com. Well, what's up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Liberty Unite with Nate and Charlie on the Free Talk Live Network coming at you from Nashville, Tennessee, the great state of Tennessee. If you haven't, if you haven't already done it, make sure you find Free Talk Live on your favorite podcast app so you can listen to tonight's entire episode. And you can also find Charlie and I's podcast, Good Morning Liberty, on your favorite podcast app. You can go to our merch store, which is GodHatesFeds.com. Get a bunch of really cool t-shirts there. And you can also go to BernieLies.com and find links to all of our stuff. We got an interview right now. I'm currently joined by James Chernowski, who is a senior policy analyst at Americans for Prosperity. How you doing today, James? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I was just trying to figure out how long it had been since we talked. I know it's been a few months. A lot has happened uh, since then. We've got a few things uh, to talk about today. The first I think we can talk about is the Section 702 expiring and uh, your thoughts on that. And if you wouldn't mind just giving the listeners a brief synopsis on Section 702. Absolutely. So Section 702 of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act is a power that's granted to the intelligence community so that they can conduct surveillance and collect information on non-U.S. persons. That was the intention of the program when it was signed into law back in 2007-2008. and, and the reality is, is that unfortunately, given the way that communications are stored uh, with this technology, it's not just locally tied 
to, uh, you know, the one spot in the world, it's kind of all over the world, right? So even though they're collecting data on, on non-U.S. persons per this authority, they also do collect information on Americans in the process of that. And they search that data as well, which in our opinion would be a violation of Americans' Fourth Amendment rights because they've done nothing wrong to otherwise mm-hmm. go and draw suspicion uh, from the government. So this authority has been used and abused repeatedly over many years. We've seen numerous fiscal court opinions come out going and and highlighting some of those nasty abuses that the intelligence community has done particularly the the federal bureau of investigation um and and really what what it's resulted in is a call from many across the ideological spectrum for uh, a lot of necessary reforms to be made to this program before it gets reauthorized at the end of the year because if it does not the program itself will expire and that's something that the administration and certainly the intelligence community do not want to see happen so for your information to be collected on this, uh, you just simply have to talk to someone who's from outside of the country and then you're they're free to go, free to do what they please? Yeah, in theory, all, all you have to do is just, you know, again, your data could have been, you could have been communicating with somebody and it could have been in a completely innocuous fashion. And again, if you're, if you were a non-U.S. person um, that was getting targeted, that could have scooped up Americans' communications with you in the process. And that's how you end up getting, uh, you know, flagged in that database, um, ultimately when it gets searched. And, and you know, the, the FBI, even at their most uh, reserved number, I think, conducted well over 200,000 searches of the FISA uh, the Section 702 database um, on Americans' information. So it's a lot of searches that have gone down um, that I would argue are violating Americans' Fourth Amendment rights. And again, what they do, they they largely probably did nothing wrong outside of having communication with somebody and it got caught up. So it's pretty alarming. And what is the, uh, what's Congress think about this? Are they on the side of changing 702? Do most of them want to keep the status quo here? What's it looking like? Yeah, I would say that this is a very unique inflection point in Congress because this is where we've actually seen a strange bedfellows kind of emerge. We've had progressives and actually Freedom Caucus conservatives be strong allies with one another on this issue, calling for strong reforms to the program. Um, Obviously, you will always have some members of Congress that are a little bit more deferential to the intelligence community, um, and they might not want to see those kinds of drastic reforms. But I think that the nice thing is, on average, uh, the the administration and and members of Congress realize that this program needs to have some reforms in it before it gets reauthorized. They don't just want a clean reauthorization, which is what the administration and the intelligence community have been pushing for for a very long time throughout this entire year. Um, and even right now, what they're looking for in terms of reform is actually pretty milk toast stuff, like codifying uh, internal changes that they've made. Uh, to the programs in light of the different abuses that have been discovered. So um, these members of Congress that want to see reforms are looking for something a little bit more significant. Um, and hopefully we'll see between now and the end of the year if we're able to go and get any movement on getting any of those kinds of reforms included in any reauthorization. So I happen to currently be wearing a shirt that says power corrupts on it. And so I was going to ask your personal thoughts on it. Isn't any kind of power like this going to be likely to be abused in the future? Can this really be reformed and uh, still be our Fourth Amendment rights still be protected? Yeah, I I think that there's always a little bit of a a fair play and suggesting that, you know, there's always going to be some kind of issue there. But I think the reality is, is that 
when you're looking at this particular power and what's going on there, it's a question of as compared to what. Um, if this authority expires, that I don't think that the intelligence community is going to all of a sudden, you know, not do this surveillance in the way that they're doing it right now. It's just going to get reshuffled into another program under existing, uh, you know, powers that might be looked at underneath what would be called Executive Order 12333, um, which is what a lot of this surveillance was originally conducted under. So I think that. You know, again, I, I understand why we're worried about that power and corruption, but really, it's sunshine's the best disinfectant that we can hope for here. And I think that that's why it's important to focus on that and not just let the program expire. Because again, I don't trust the government enough to let it expire and just assume that they're going to, you know, play nice about it. I mean, this is the same intelligence community that got busted, uh, you know, inappropriately using this authority to go and spy on January 6th protesters, to spy on Black Lives Matter protesters, to go and spy on a sitting uh, congressman. Um, to go and, and target political donors. I mean, the, the abuses are rampant and repeated. So um, that's why I think that we don't want to necessarily let it expire because then Congress will lose any kind of oversight and accountability function that it could exercise over these intelligence communities. See, that's why we have you on, because that's the way that I should be thinking about it, is that th- this does give them them the power to have oversight over the intelligence community. And so that that's a better way to be thinking about it, for sure. Um, speaking of uh, some of this corruption, may- well, let's get on to misinformation a little bit. Now, we had this thing, a brief moment, about a month, I believe, we had something called the Disinformation Governance Board, the DGB. That's actually what they went with. I can't believe it. Uh, but yeah, we had the, the DGB. You um you were telling me beforehand about this FOIA request and some of the information that you got. Tell us what went down with that. Yeah, so Americans for Prosperity Foundation issued a FOIA request to the uh, to the Department of uh, Homeland Security a while back, seeking to get some information around like the genesis and origins of the Disinformation Governance Board. Naturally, uh, the government is not so great at responding to these FOIA requests all the time, so we did sue them. Um, to go and get access to those FOIA requests. And we've been getting document production just this morning. Fox News had covered the latest document production that we had gotten from the Department of Homeland Security that was going over this disinformation governance board, um, where they had memos suggesting that the Department of Homeland Security had the authority to uh, engage in policing online speech in this space. But Wait for it. The government went and provided those memos, but then redacted everything inside those memos. Um, so we don't while they're you know putting forward this very novel legal theory, if you will, they're not willing to go and tell us like why they're not showing their homework, if you will. Um, you know, their, their excuses that this would somehow compromise investigations or something of that is one of the exclusions underneath FOIA that they can use. But at the end of the day, what I would argue is that they're trying to go and hide from being transparent to the American people about why they think they have the authority to go and police speech online. So it was a it was a very important thing that we had come out there. I'm glad we were able to go and get this information out there um, because it goes to show just how. Uh, you know, how crazy the, the administrative state can be at times where these executive bodies think that they have unlimited power at their disposal and broad sweeping authorities that they might not otherwise have. There is no legal basis. And that's one of the nice things that the Fox News piece covered is that, 
you know, you had a former DHS official being like, there's no legal authority for this. I don't know what they're on. Right. (laughs) So I think that, you know, again, this is just really alarming. The government should not be in the business of trying to dictate what is true or what is good uh, to be present on the Internet. Um, I think two things can be true. You can be worried about misinformation and all that jazz and recognize that the government it might not be the best vehicle for dealing with that particular problem here uh, because, thankfully, of our First Amendment. So uh, very excited about that. Glad we got to go and have that out there. And, you know, obviously we'll continue to do work in this space and see where we can get more transparency and more accountability from this administration that's seemingly trying to avoid it at every turn. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Well, sometimes we're faced with a crossroads in life and we don't really know which path to take. Maybe you're thinking about a career change or feeling like your relationship needs a little help. Whatever it is, therapy can help you map out your future and trust yourself to find the way forward. I've done therapy in the past, and honestly, it helped me quite a bit. I've told you guys that. And our co-host, Charlie, still using BetterHelp. He loves it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash GML today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash GML. Do you think the redaction of these memos might also have something to do with the uh, legal matters uh, involving their policing of online speech, like the case coming out of, is it Missouri, I believe? Do you think it has something to do with that? No, not necessarily. I don't I don't know if it's going to be tied to anything like that, because that, that would probably be produced under under any kind of discovery if they if they were looking for that. Um, but at the end of the day, I think it's just a thematic thing where the government, you know, wants to avoid having to answer for some of the things when it gets caught with its hands in the cookie jar. And in this case, the cookie jar is violating Americans constitutional <laughs> rights. Um, so I think that they want to avoid the scrutiny that comes from that because they already got a, a ton of scrutiny when this program was originally announced. And, and uh, you know, you had Nina Jankowitz of all people going and leading those efforts. So I think that at the end of the day, this is just a, a typical thing of the government trying to avoid any kind of, uh, you know, um, uh, being held to account by by organizations like ours that want to better understand exactly what in God's name made them think that this was a good idea. Now, what do you think? Uh, I, I hadn't thought about mentioning this, but that court case, I believe, coming out of the Fifth Circuit, uh, we haven't talked since all of this happened. So what what's your coverage on that, Ben? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, it's an interesting case. Obviously, back on July 4th, the district court judge had a very sweeping injunction. Um, There were some, I think, well, you could understand and appreciate his concern for the government and its interaction with these social media platforms. Uh, I think a lot of the original consensus there was that there was a lot of flaws in that legal opinion. And unsurprisingly, the Fifth Circuit uh, modified that injunction and and uh, kind of constrained it a little bit to focus on a more narrowly tailored set of, of individuals that they thought actually probably likely violated the First Amendment, which in this instance was the FBI, the White House, the Center for Disease and Control Prevention, uh, and the Surgeon General, um, and the Federal Bureau of Investigation. They, they found that those institutions likely violated the First Amendment with some of their communications with these platforms. Um, that's gotten an emergency appeal to the Supreme Court right now by the U.S. Solicitor General. And, you know, I think right now the, the most interesting thing about this case is that it's forcing an interesting conversation, I think, for not just politicians, but for remember. Americans more broadly about figuring out what is that line of permissible communication between the government and a private actor, because it's one thing if the government's coming to a company and saying, hey, um, you know, 
you you have child sexual abuse material, which is illegal stuff, right? And we want to go and obviously not have that on the internet. So let's work to go and tackle that. That's one kind of thing, as opposed to going and reaching out to these companies and saying, why haven't you taken action? Uh, why aren't you doing more on COVID misinformation? What is the data on this? Tell us now. Or, you know, you're a member of Congress issuing veiled threats about modifying or removing Section 230 protections for these companies uh, if they do not go and do a preferred course of action. Um, so, again, I think that this is a really fascinating case. We'll see what the Supreme Court's going to say. Um, we could have an answer as early as today or early next week. Um, we'll, we'll see how that goes. And, and as soon as we hear from that, I'll be sure to go and let everybody know my thoughts. But it, it really is an important case in its own right, especially when you couple it with the net choice cases that are against Texas and Florida on their social media bills. This could be a very big year for SCOTUS in the realm of free speech. So the one thing uh, I mentioned I wanted to uh, to bring up when we were talking about this, the Biden administration, I believe, is launching a, an, an effort to counter misinformation online. Uh, I don't remember what they're calling it, but it's probably something ridiculous. I'm not sure. Uh, but um, I wonder if there's always an implicit threat from the government. I know that they're just going to try to counter what they call misinformation, but since they are the government, is is there not an implicit threat all the time that if this is what they call misinformation as a company that you want to be in line with what they are saying over here through the the fear that they could bring some kind of actions against you? Yeah, I, I think that that's always a concern of mine, at least, is that, um, you know, the government is the one that has the unilateral authority of force. Um, so even if they I mean, and even when the uh, Biden administration was asked about this, they had put out some kind of statement um, that was talking about how they think that these social media platforms have a responsibility to do X, Y and Z. Um, but it was it was legally crafted in such a way where they're like, but they as a, they're the ones who have to make the decision, which would basically cover them from any kind of accusations that they're facing uh, currently underneath Missouri v. Biden, which surrounds a legal theory called the state action doctrine. So I think that, um, you know, there's always an implicit uh, problem, in my view, of, of the government going and, uh, you know, using the, the bully pulpit uh, in some ways um, about this kind of stuff that has a nexus with speech. But you don't even have to just take it in the social media context. We've seen it in other areas of the economy as well, where, um, you know, let's say on the antitrust front, Lena Khan's been very aggressive on that. And that's had a chilling effect on, on companies wanting to do merger and acquisition activity. It's gone and, uh, you know, kind of grounded down to a halt and deals being abandoned. Um, it's forced, you know, companies to spend millions of dollars on, uh, you know, uh, lawsuits in, in this case, um, in some cases, to do things that they would otherwise be normally perfectly good with doing. So, again, I think that the government, given its unilateral authority on force, um, definitely always that that threat is is there. Um, but, you know, some, some are better about respecting the, the constraints on power that they have than others. And, you know, unfortunately, right now we're in an era where everybody is seemingly okay with abusing their, their authority and having scope creep and trying to do new things uh, that they probably shouldn't be doing. <laughs> well, uh, you brought up the FTC. So if we could spend a few minutes on this uh, with what's going on with the FTC and Amazon. Now, I'll admit what I heard about them doing does sound very shady and I don't like it. Uh, but could you explain to everyone why the FTC is going after Amazon right now? Yeah. So right now they have a lawsuit going on against Amazon um, surrounding its prime subscription services, um, saying that they're accusing the company of engaging in practices that would make it uh, very difficult for for consumers to go and cancel their prime membership um, and tricking them into signing up for prime, etc. Things like that. 
Um, and they just updated it recently to to go and, and reflect some some things that they thought were appropriate. Now, this is entirely separate from the fact that Amazon is also expected to get a major antitrust lawsuit filed against it by Lena Khan at some point in the near future. We don't quite know the timeline just yet, but we're anticipating pretty soon that that major monopoly antitrust lawsuit will drop from Lena Khan against Amazon. But the notion that this this case um, surrounding the prime membership stuff is a little bit ridiculous, and, and I'll tell you why. Um, right now, they're complaining about the number of clicks it takes to to go and uh, get your, your Prime subscription service canceled, which, by the way, it only takes six clicks to go and cancel your Prime membership. It's, it is pretty clear how, how you can go and get around to canceling your Prime membership. It's not exactly hard. Um, and if you have an issue with it, you can certainly go and, and look it up. Uh, it's pretty easy. You can get you know YouTube videos even if you want. They can show you how to do it in as little as a couple of minutes, probably. Um, so it's a little, it's a little silly, uh, especially when you're talking about the benefits that people get from the prime service. Um, it's actually one of my friends, uh, Patrick Hedger called this out back when this lawsuit was originally dropped. And it was, uh, quite funny because while it takes you six clicks, the, the egregious process of six, six clicks to cancel your Amazon prime, uh, membership. If you wanted to go and exercise your right to, you know, express your grievances against the FTC for policies that it's pursuing right now, it takes you more than six clicks to get it done, assuming the website's even functioning properly. Uh, so I think that it's a little rich for the FTC to be trying to go and complain about uh, something like this right now, given how horrible they, they are uh, and, and certainly how difficult it can be sometimes to go and submit comments to the FTC. So, again, it's just, you know, more of the same from Lena Khan. This administration and this FTC have always gone underneath the premise of big is bad and, and tech is certainly very bad. And therefore, we will do anything and everything we can to go and make their lives miserable. So this lawsuit is not surprising. We'll see what happens there. But truly, it, it is a little silly when you're talking about something as simple as canceling a subscription um, when it when it is, in fact, so easy to go and, and navigate that process. I, I did. I, that's why I started laughing as soon as you brought this up, because six clicks. I mean, if you compare that to any government website for doing anything, I mean, has anyone ever tried to use a DMV website before? I mean, it, anything they do is is terrible. Yeah, absolutely. Or even better yet, think about the offline comparisons of subscription models that you that you go to. Right. Like if you wanted to go and subscribe to The New York Times, going and canceling your subscription there is such a headache. Uh, maybe because they realize that people aren't too pleased with them right now. Um, the Wall, yeah, the Wall Street Journal, you've got to like, you got to call the Wall Street Journal to cancel your subscription. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. A, yeah, I think that's a common problem. A lot of the offline analogs that so you have to go and call sometimes. Um, you know, you have to go and pay a cancellation fee, I think, for other types of services. So, again, six clicks to go and cancel your membership is somehow egregious, but all this other behavior is not, seems a little bit <laughs> odd to me. Um, again, I, I think that it's just silly. It's because it has Amazon slapped on it that all of a sudden the FTC's, you know, ears perk up and they're like, oh, well, what can we do today? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so again, it's just, it's an unfortunate reality because that means that taxpayers are funding this to the tune of millions of dollars. Now, Lena Khan has spent millions of taxpayer dollars pursuing all kinds of legal action against the technology sector. And by the way, for the record, she's winless in court. This woman <laughs> has done nothing of, of merit to go and even justify the kind of goose chases that she's doing right now. Um, you know, she's more interested in going and sending her staff over to the European Union to help them enforce the Digital Markets Act and the <laughs> Digital Services Act, which it's kind of wild because those those particular pieces of legislation in the European Union, if they were in the United States, would get struck down as unconstitutional, just 
outright. They are terrible pieces of legislation. So she's wasting taxpayer dollars going and harassing the technology sector and losing in court in the process. So undermining the actual credibility of the institution that is the Federal Trade Commission. And then on top of that, she's wasting taxpayer dollars going and advancing things that actually undermine Americans' constitutional protections. Like the DSA has a lot of stuff in it that goes and targets misinformation, disinformation, hate speech, all of that, right? Which, again, it's all protected underneath the First Amendment of the United States. But she's sending staff over to the European Union to go and help with the, the, the integration of this. Now, this, this is what we're dealing with here. Wow. Now, I didn't know about that part at all. See, it's uh, that I learned something new every day. So, uh, James, I wish we had more time, but we got to we got to wrap it up today. I need I need you to tell everyone where they can go to find more of your work and follow what you're doing every day. Absolutely. You guys can always go and follow me on X, formerly known as Twitter, at uh, JamesCZ19, or uh, you can check my, my work out at AmericansForProsperity.org. I also have the affiliation with Young Voices, so definitely check out their, their website as well to keep up with all the latest things I'm doing in this space. All right, James, thank you so much. Hope to do it again soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right, coming up, we're going to be talking to Marcos Falcone, who's going to give us some insight on what's going on in Argentina. They've got a guy named Javier Mille, a libertarian, who might get elected president. We want to get the inside scoop. On Free Talk Live, we're bringing people to the ideas of liberty every day. From wrestling superstars like Glenn Jacobs. You guys really are having an impact, I believe. Like I said, uh, a lot of where I am now is due to listening to Free Talk Live. You changed my mind on some very important issues years ago. To random people tuning in on the radio. I was kind of stuck in the left-right paradigm. I heard your show by chance on a Saturday night. From there, I went on, joined the Free State Project, and become an amplifier. So, I mean, that's really the reason why I amp is uh, because I know that if it wasn't for you guys being on as many stations as you are, I never would have found the ideas of liberty. You can help more people hear the message of liberty by joining Free Talk Live's AMPS program on Patreon for as little as $5 a month. And you'll get access to special perks. Visit amps.freetalklive.com, amps.freetalklive.com. What's up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is Liberty at Night with Nate and Charlie on the Free Talk Live Network coming at you from Nashville, Tennessee. We operate a daily libertarian podcast you can find on your favorite podcast app. You can go to BernieLies.com in your browser and it'll pull up a link to all of our things. And as always, I want to tell you, you can listen to this episode on the Free Talk Live podcast channel on your favorite podcast app as well. So I mentioned that we are libertarians and there is a guy named Javier Mille in Argentina that actually has a chance of becoming the president. Not just a chance, he's actually leading right now. And he won the last election. They got a final election coming up in October and this would be a massive change. They've been going through a lot of inflation. They have tons of social policies. They have government-owned uh, businesses. He's been talking about privatizing those, getting rid of a ton of their agencies, using the U.S. dollar. And as a libertarian, that's pretty exciting. 
And so I want to talk to someone about that. I'm currently joined by Marcos Falcone, who is a political scientist based in Argentina. And we've been covering a little bit of the news coming out of Argentina lately. Marcos, how are you doing today? Hi, Nate. I'm doing well. Thank you for inviting me to your show. Um, I hope we had a we had a great conversation. So why don't you give everyone, if this is their first time uh, hearing anything from you, give them a little bit of your backstory and what you do. Yeah, so basically, uh, I'm a political scientist, as you said. Um, I work at um, Fundación Libertad, which is Argentina's oldest classical liberal think tank. Let's call it that. Uh, We're focused mainly on public policy, on socioeconomic issues. And as part of my job, I have podcasts in the past myself. Um, I actually interviewed, well, the two main presidential candidates from the opposition today, Javier Milei and Patricia Bullrich. And I occasionally write articles for Argentinian and also American media trying to explain what's going on in Argentina in this, um, in this time that seems like it's going to be a change. Mm. So for a lot of, uh, you know, this is a libertarian podcast here, and a lot of our listeners have been excited about Javier Millet, of course. And uh, we've had people asking questions, of course, like your typical American, I don't know anything about basically any other countries. You know, uh, this is the center of the world, I guess. And it, and it's just not, no, I mean, I don't know anything, honestly, about the current situation that Argentina's in. We were talking about uh, Javier Millet a couple weeks ago. And the big changes he's talking about, I spouted off to our listeners saying, uh, well, this could be really great. We're libertarians. It could be really bad also because of an abrupt change like that could also be rough. Um, what's so I'm trying to figure out what the best way, because a lot of people are probably like me. How would you describe the current state of Argentina uh, to someone who's not studied up on it and why they are actually considering a libertarian, and I mean libertarian. If y'all haven't looked at anything that this guy has been saying, if you haven't been listening to him, uh, he's a legit libertarian. Okay, so how did they get to the point where they are considering Javier Mille? Yeah, so um, Argentina is currently in a in a very delicate uh, economic situation, and it has been for over a decade. Um, we live in a country where the inflation rate. Um, is 130% uh, annual and up um, because it was only in August we had 12% uh, inflation um, and that is chaotic. Um, GDP is falling. Um, the, the fiscal imbalance, the, the deficit is huge um, and it does not seem like that will stop anytime soon. And so it looks like we're headed into a, an, even, an even worse crisis, really, um, just because um, nobody wants to lend money to Argentina. Only the IMF has done so uh, in, in, in the past years. And so the government is borrowing money, basically, from, um, from people like me, from people like anyone else, at insanely high rates. And so that is accelerating, uh, sort of like, what we call the, the quasi-fiscal deficit, the, the deficit of the central bank. And so if the situation, let's say, explodes, if the government decides to stop paying interest for that debt, uh, then we could head into hyperinflation almost immediately. 
Um, and so this is the context where a candidate like Kyle Millet appears. He is definitely a libertarian, as you said. He, it's funny because he used to identify with the uh, Chicago School of Economics with Milton Friedman. And then something like five years ago, he switched uh, allegiance uh, to the Austrian School of Economics. And so you have him quote um, Mises or Hayek on TV, on like prime time. That's, um, I don't want to say unheard of in Argentina, but if it's not, then it's almost unheard of, really. Um, and his proposals are, as you described them, pretty sharp. Um, what he could do to the country could be huge, um, and this could be good, or it could be really bad if he fails. Um, a couple of, well, no, over a month ago, we had our primary election here in Argentina, and that kind of works like a general election because the, the votes sort of mirror what we then have like uh, in October, and Javier Mide placed first. Uh, he got 30% of the vote. Nobody was expecting that. Um, and I think he got 30% of the vote because people are angry. People are really angry at the current state of the Argentine economy. Uh, we have been through uh, leftist, more leftist, uh, less leftist, sort of, uh, so to say, governments, and we haven't succeeded. And so here comes Javier Millet promising to shut down the central bank altogether, promising to dollarize, not because he loves the Fed, but because Argentines are used to saving uh, up in dollars because they can't rely on their own uh, currency. And here he comes promising uh, free trade, promising um, deregulation, promising to privatize or even shut down um, state-owned companies. Um, and that is, that is huge. We haven't really had a candidate proposing stuff like that in the past. Now, of course, um, and, and I'll just, I'll end this introductory, very long introductory remark with this. He, um, as he gets closer to power, he seems to be backtracking on his own promises because he realizes that he's going to face serious issues, uh, when implementing any reform in Argentina. And so he's now saying, well, dollarization can't really happen right away. In a day or two, it, it may be a three to four year process. Um, we need to be um, allies with unions, for example. He, today, he's going to host a, an event uh, with a notorious uh, union leader um, who 30 years ago or so admitted that he himself was like just corrupt and that people needed to stop being corrupt in Argentina for two years. That's a very famous quote. If, if you want to look it up later, um, he's, he's hosting an event with, um, a union leader because he's now saying we need to be allies with unions because otherwise they're going to block a reform. Um, so, you know, he, he, as he gets closer to power, he seems to be uh, holding off and saying, well, this is going to be, um, difficult. Um, and it, Change can't happen uh, overnight. And so, you know, we need to buckle up and see what happens. Just off the cuff, first off, anytime I hear someone speaking of these massive changes, I worry for their personal safety uh, to begin with. And I, he might have also considered this uh, this idea. I mean, we've had issues with that uh, in, in the past in the U.S. as well. I'm sure that happens all over the world. Um, I wanted to know one thing. 
How big is the uh, like social welfare state in in Argentina? Is there a lot of unemployment, a lot of poverty? Are there a lot of people getting government checks? Uh, how many people are reliant on the government on a daily basis? Well, um, it's estimated that about half the people in Argentina are reliant in one way or another um, on government checks. Be that as um, direct handouts, uh, be that because there are, um, well, public employees, um, but a lot of people uh, live off of others in Argentina. Um, and that is, that, that is certainly a problem. Um, and that is also one of the reasons why change may be hard to implement uh, because if, say, uh, Argentina were to liberalize, uh, as I argue that this will inevitably uh, inevitably happen in, in my article on, on the Econlog, um, if, if this is going to happen, then there's going to be a lot of losers, and those losers will be the ones that are getting government money. If you... Um, Eliminate the deficit, for example, then you need to curb public spending. Um, if you cut taxes, like he's also promising, uh, then someone is not going to be getting that money anymore. And, and that's going to be public employees. That's going to be people who are relying on handouts. Uh, that's going to be people who uh, enjoy subsidies, you know, energy subsidies, which are huge here in Argentina, or transport subsidies. Um, and that is going to come at a cost. Uh, you're going to have uh, at least demonstrations. You may have riots. Um, and so whoever comes, you know, after December 10th, when the next president is supposed to take office, is going to be really strong uh, to implement change, which is why there's another um, presidential candidate, Patricia Bullrich, um, who is saying, I am the only one who's strong enough to do this change, you know, uh, because Javier Millet is an outsider. He doesn't really have, uh, let's call it a, a political structure, you know, that supports him. Um, he, he likely doesn't have enough people to fill, um, you know, cabinet appointments. Uh, but then this other candidate, you know, a, a former minister of security, um, who is now also recruiting, um, classical liberal economists, um, not really libertarian, um, but leaning, let's say, um, she, she's now recruiting those kind of economists too. And um, she's saying, we can do the kind of change that Millet proposes, but we can do this, you know, sustainably, we can do this gradually, and we can do this in a way um, that, you know, um, is not dependent on one person, like, um, like it happens in the case of Javier Millet, because when you look at his coalition, when you look at, at the people who are around him, you realize that it's all just basically about him. You know, if Millet disappears overnight, there's no one that would take, um, you know, his spot. And not in his coalition, at least. Whereas in the other coalition, you know, the one that uh, governed Argentina already from 2015 to 2019, you have tons of people. You have a lot of people who could, um, you know, implement change. Now, the question is whether they actually want change or not, because they had an opportunity um, and they squandered it. Um, but uh, that, that, is this, that is the current political state, at least in the opposition right now in Argentina. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we're faced with a crossroads in life and we don't really know which path to take. 
Maybe you're thinking about a career change or feeling like your relationship needs a little love. Whatever it is, therapy can help you map out your future and trust yourself to find the way forward. I've done therapy in the past, and honestly, it helped me quite a lot. Changed my life, made me who I am today. And our co-host, Charlie, he's still using BetterHelp to this day. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash GML today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash G-M-L. Now, one thing, and uh, not to be a, a downer on this, but the people who are excited about Javier Mille, uh, do you think that, so so for a real change to happen in a country, I have this idea that the change really needs to happen in the people. And as you were talking about, if Javier Mille goes away, if he's if he's gone, if he gives up, are these people going to be out there saying the same things? Are they going to be quoting Milton Friedman and Rothbard and, and Ayn Rand or whoever? Or are they just going to go with whoever's uh, grasp grabbing their anger that they have towards the current state? And that's who they're going to support. Do you think that it's more... Is there really a libertarian cultural revolution happening in Argentina or is there someone who's saying all the right things to the people who are rightfully very angry? To be honest, I think we're just lucky that Millet happens to be a libertarian. Um, I think there is an element of change that people are demanding. Um, I'm not sure that there's a libertarian cultural revolution taking place really. Um, because as I said, I think Millet, um, is being supported by a lot of people because people are angry, not because people necessarily understand the consequences of liberalizing. Um, and as a matter of fact, really, when you look at, um, the votes that Javier Millet got, uh, and, and, and you compare this election, for example, this primary election to the primary election four years ago, 2019, you realize that he's been taking more votes from um, Peronist candidates, from typically populist candidates, than from the um, rest of the opposition, you know, the ones who should be closer to uh, classical liberalism and libertarianism. Um, so, and that means, you know, that his base is not really libertarian at all. I mean, they may be listening to him, they may be preaching whatever he's preaching. Um, but if he were to suddenly, let's say overnight reject Austrian economics overall or Milton Friedman, I think they would follow him. Now, again, we're lucky that he happens to say the right things. Uh, then we're, we don't really know if he's going, if he's in a position to actually implement the change that he wants, but he's saying the right things and that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, but so far, I think we don't really have a, a libertarian cultural revolution. I hope we do in the future. I hope it's in the making right now, but I'm not sure that's happening. Really, It, it surely will lead a lot of people in that direction. I'll be completely honest. Uh, he actually inspired me to grab an, uh, a Hayek book on Audible uh, last week because of something that I heard him talking about. I'm like, huh, I should maybe read something that Hayek was talking about. And, and so I, I grabbed a book and I'm sure that's happening quite a lot in Argentina as well. The reason I was asking about this is we're talking about how difficult it can be for him to actually make these changes. 
And as you make these, I'm not sure how long a presidential term is in Argentina. Is it four years? Is it it's four years? Four yeah. Years? Okay. So as you go to make these changes, they're going to take some time. Uh, whether you want to try and do it overnight or not, I think overnight would be super dangerous. I think you'd have riots uh, against him overnight, and it wouldn't uh, it wouldn't go all that well. And and so as the pain starts to happen, these people who are getting checks from the government and these people who are working for the the agencies or departments or whatever that he wants to get rid of, as that pain starts to happen, if there's not an actual philosophical libertarian base that led to him getting elected and instead it was people who were mad about their own situations in life and saw someone saying the right things well then they're just going to end up being mad about their own situations in life and he's going to be the person responsible for it now and then they're going to go for the next person who says they're going to fix it that could be someone even harder to the left and so this kind of the danger of populism and and not actually having this strong philosophical you know base behind you right yeah that's actually what some libertarians here in argentina fear that um he actually wins that he gets to the presidency and he starts trying to implement change but that he fails and then everything suddenly becomes his fault and then the word liberty or freedom uh is there a it gets like informally banned from uh, public speech for 30 years. Um, and we have had uh, in the nineties, for example, we had a president who did not claim to be a libertarian, but he implemented uh, very good policies. You know, he opened up trade, he deregulated, he privatized, he um, reduced. Uh, well, he didn't, in the end, he didn't end up reducing public spending, but initially he did. Um, and, and everyone identified him um, with classical liberalism, with uh, not libertarianism, but classical liberalism. And, um, you know, when uh, public spending started growing again and that caused a crisis and, you know, the, the, the country crashed, basically, then nobody wanted to talk about liberty for like 25 years mm-hmm. up until this moment. And so we are risking, you know, a repetition of that event. I hope that doesn't happen. But um, it is certainly a risk. I, I will say just to on a brighter note, he is one of the better um, orders of this message that I've heard in a long time. And that's coming from a guy who doesn't speak the language. I have to read everything that he says. But the things that he says are more libertarian than basically anyone I hear in America saying. And I follow a heck of a lot of libertarians and he does a better job explaining these things than all the people that I follow. And so what I hope is that the people that are following him are really are grasping what he's talking about, that it really is causing a change in these people and that they're going to talk to their friends and their family and that, and that they're going to realize that this, uh, this, this leftist socialist experiment has not been working out very well. And you got to go back to a free market and uh, that that's, what's going to be best for, for everyone. Would you mind? Uh, well, Coming back on as we get to the election and we see what happens and all that, you know, do you want to talk more about this in the future? Yeah, absolutely. I'd be be thrilled to come back um, and and talk about the the election. The election is going to happen on October, October 22nd. Uh, Then if there is a second ballot, that would be November 12th, I think. Uh, The only way for Millet to avoid a second ballot would be to get over 40% of the vote. 
plus a 10 point difference with the runner up or just uh, straight uh, <clears throat> over 45 points. Um, it's a, it's a strange system. Yeah. <laughs> it's a strange second ballot system. Um, there, I wouldn't say that there's no chance of him, um, winning in the, in the first round. I think that's difficult. Uh, but it could happen. You know, he got 30% of the vote. So he's only like 10 points out provided, you know, the, the runner up doesn't, um, eat up that difference. Um, and yeah, I mean, here in Argentina, that timing seems, uh, eternal really, <laughs> because it's already been a month, uh, since the primary, we have a month to go for the general election. Um, and meanwhile, the government, uh, keeps just making a mess out of the economy. It keeps expanding, uh, public, uh, spending. It keeps, it is now reducing taxes apparently, uh, but that is fueling the deficit, which is in turn fueling inflation, which is already at 130%. So the situation is really explosive. And all we want uh, is just vote, you know? But we're still one month. We, we still have one month to go. Um, and we'll see what happens. But, you know, I think one way or another, be uh, the winner of Millet or Patricia Bullrich or maybe even the pro government candidate, the, the current Minister of Economy. Some form of liberalization is inevitable in Argentina because um, the system just can't, uh, it can't stand uh, the way that it is. Everyone is fed up. Uh, the costs of protectionism, of high taxes, of high public spending are visible to everyone. Um, and some sort of change um, will come. Um, you can read uh, more on this on EconLog, uh, where I published this, uh, my piece, Argentina's Liberalization. Yeah, I'll put that. Uh, I'll put that link in the show notes for everyone. Why don't you tell everyone where else they can go to follow any of the work that you're putting out? Yes. Uh, well, all of my pieces um, are indexed uh, at marcosfalconi.com.ar. Um, you can find them all there. Um, and other than that, um, I think you know a lot of uh, outlets are covering what's happening in Argentina uh, very well. Um, in the American landscape, I think I would say that the Cato Institute um, has published uh, good articles on this. Uh, it has also hosted uh, an event on dollarization, uh, the, the main uh, Millet campaign proposal. Um, so, yeah, that's where I would go for, for more info. All right. Marcos, thanks so much for your time today, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, thank you, Nate. Coming up, we're going to be doing Dumb Bleep of the Week. That is the time of the week where everyone in the Fed Haters Club, that's our private group, they throw in the dumbest things they saw online in politics over the week. And then we go through each and every one of them and the live group votes on what they thought was the dumbest one. That's on our podcast, Good Morning Liberty, on your favorite podcast app. We'll be running through all those next on Free Talk Live. Well, what's up, all of our liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Liberty at Night with Nate and Charlie on the Free Talk Live Network coming at you from Nashville, Tennessee. We got to tell you we're in Nashville because we freaking love it. 
Tennessee. Is Tennessee the greatest state? I don't know. Maybe some of the other guys from Free Talk Live would disagree with me. I happen to enjoy it quite a bit. I want to tell you that this hour of Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. Dash is the cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. Rising fees have made Bitcoin useless for purchases, but Dash continues to have fees less than one cent per transaction, and they've implemented really cool features to ensure it's undefeated as the most useful cryptocurrency in the marketplace. From a technical standpoint, Dash transactions are irreversible, and its network is protected from 51% attacks by their chain locks technology. There's no need to wait for a confirmation before considering the Dash transaction complete, so it's great for merchants. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use Dash. Start by learning more at Dash.org. The big thanks to Dash Dow for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash.org to learn about Dash. Dash dot org so what we're doing right now is something called dumb bleep of the week we do it every week on good morning liberty which is our podcast that we do on a daily basis you can find that on your favorite podcast app wherever you listen to podcasts you can go to bernielies.com and that'll bring up all of our links you can watch the videos for all of our shows on youtube and rumble and odyssey all the stuff like that And as always, you can listen to tonight's entire episode on Free Talk Live's podcast channel as well. Just search for Free Talk Live in your favorite podcast app. So on Dumb Believe of the Week, the Fed Haters Club, which is our live group, the people who join us every day as we are recording, they throw in a bunch of submissions, could be dumb tweets or ex-posts, or it could be dumb articles, stuff that they saw online, on Reddit, on whatever, Normally, you got a lot of people like Nina Turner, Robert Reich, Joe Biden, and the various Biden bots out there, crazy Democrats, and even some Republicans that we talk about. We go through each one of them. There's going to be eight of them tonight that we're going to go through. And then the live group votes for what the dumbest one actually was. At the end of the year, the ones who win, they get to go into the Dumb Leap of the Year tournament. And then the live group gets to vote for which one wins Dumb Leap of the year, and then we're going to send a trophy, like we got a trophy last year, we're going to send a trophy to the winner, so maybe uh, it's uh, Kamala Harris, I don't know, maybe it's Nina Turner, and we're going to send a trophy to the person who submitted that, because they deserve the credit. So, we're going to start with Dumb Bleep number one. This is very important, we got a presidential election coming up charlie very quickly Mm -hmm. okay and i know what you are wondering which one of these candidates can stretch their left leg the best Mm. and the answer could in fact be joe biden i'm not sure but harry sison that's one of those uh biden bots yeah out there go ahead a teenage biden bot now, this, he, is, this is important. I mean, people have been saying that Joe Biden's too old to be president. He tweets, could Donald Trump stretch like this? No, absolutely not. Trump can't do half of the things Biden does. And you know, if I was Trump, I would retweet this and be proud that I can't do half the things that Biden does. <laughs> okay. Like, you're like, yeah, I don't fall down like Biden does. Or I don't <laughs> slur my words like Biden does. I'm glad that I don't do 
half the things that Biden does. Now, apparently this memo went out to all of the Biden bots because we have another one right here from John P. Flannery, whoever the heck this person is, with the same photo of Biden stretching from what I'm told in the comments was actually from back when he was vice president. Mm. Okay, so I... We'll have to check this out, Charlie. What's the, and you the tweet can say? Tell that's a stretch because of the way the way it is. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. a stretch. There, ageism is rampant in our nation. Ageism. <sighs> they have a term for everything. People and don't that, like Biden because of ageism. Yeah. Here's the thing: people get old. They get old, man. They do. They sure do. They get old. Mm-hmm. And when you get old, things happen. Yeah. You know, and it has nothing to do with being derogatory towards old people it's just a thing you know it, it just, happens it happens it's gonna happen to you mm-hmm. and it's gonna happen to me it's gonna happen to everyone listening to this thing all right one day we're not gonna be able to talk as good as we do now with proper english and everything that's scary mm-hmm. mm. and uh that's the thing he's just owed how many of you how many who question biden's age are as flexible and as healthy because you can tell by one picture from about 10 years ago, from what I'm told. From about 10 years ago. Actually, he looks like he weighs a bit more in this picture than he does now. Now, here's what, what we got to do, because we finally... we got It's sort like John has seen his blood work and everything. It's, it's high past time, Charlie. Well, well past the time that we finally sort this out with our presidential candidates. And what we need, Charlie, is a, a decathlon-style event for the presidential candidates that involves... That's the real debate. Involves a, a very rigorous stretching process Mm -hmm. so we can see which one of them can kick their own ass (laughs) okay and if they can do that yeah then they can qualify to be i kick my own ass i kick my own ass (laughs) um listen trump is uh that's right big daddy trump's overweight we know that we know that that's a thing okay but mentally he seems to be in better shape than biden Mm -hmm. uh although he's still crazy we do know that but that goes with age also. So what are you going to do? I get, yeah, Costco, we should put them in the, in the Coliseum <laughs> with weapons and tigers and stuff, weapons of mass destruction <laughs> and see who comes out on top. And I'm fine with be the president. I think that'd be the best use of our tax money we've ever, we've ever spent. I would pay taxes for that. Here's something that we paid about $1.7 trillion for. This is something that happened earlier oh, in the week. number two now. Yeah, we're on to number two. And we just it's got to be part of the dumb bleep. Um, earlier in the week, we we lost something very near and dear to our heart. Yeah. And it happened to be an $80 million airplane. Mm-hmm. Okay, very. Those are easy to lose, though. They're so yeah, tiny. They're tough. Well, that's yeah. how good the stealth technology is. You can't even see the fire. You know, stealth yeah. fire coming exactly. from that thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. But um the US military is asking the public for health help and health probably in finding the missing F thirty five. Yes, there was a tweet. One of the most you think about the money funny that we somebody spend. took it. <laughs> you think about the money that we spend on the military. It's so much money yeah. that we spend on the military. And they had to <laughs> they had to tweet out <laughs> that's a good one <laughs> that's good um so if you're not in the fed haters club by the way join gmail.com you're missing um, out you got the picture of the dude that was carrying the podium out of the Capitol on j6 uh instead it's an f-35 that's pretty funny and there's a pilot in there <laughs> you look closely <laughs> somebody's flying somebody tried to fly that plane this guy's carrying it out charlie we spend so much money on this that 
the government had the resort to tweeting out help from the public with a phone number for people to call if they happen to run across an F-35. <laughs> I mean, how embarrassing is this? Yeah. It's ridiculous. I love it. I love it. the pilot survived. Everything's fine. Okay. I love it. This is great. This is who you're, what you're actually paying for right now. Them mm-hmm. tweeting out a helpline for finding an $80 million airplane. Also the pilot ejected. <clears throat> so it, did they find it like intact or was it? No, it was scattered as a debris field and okay. it, ha- it crashed like apparently right after the guy ejected. It wasn't that far from the ejection site. Now they haven't, they, I believe they've blamed the weather. This is probably a climate change problem, I would say, mm. but I think they blame the weather. And that's the thing. When you're buying your F-35s, Charlie, with our with our tiny, tiny military budget, you see, we, we spend the $80 million on the airplane. We didn't buy that extra climate change protection plan, but that bumped it up to $120 million per mm-hmm. airplane. And that's them trying to save money for the taxpayers. So <laughs> yeah, that that's nice. honestly, that's on us for not taxing the wealthy. Honestly, I think this was done on purpose. They were trying to mm-hmm. test to see like how stealth these planes are, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. So like, okay, if the pilot ejects over enemy territory... How likely and how quickly are people going to be able to find this thing, even if somebody tweets out help? And uh, it turns out that it took a little while. I thought the Babylon Bee had the best. Oh, that was good. Headline by far. <laughs> well, they had um, that Bible verse. Is that what you sent me? Yes. That was hilarious. That's where Jesus leaves the 99 to find the one. <laughs> It was good. It was so good. Okay, don't believe number three is going to be called gun violence. The first post here comes from Shannon Watts on X. Um, She says a 78-year-old Florida man is in custody after shooting his neighbor to death during a tree-trimming dispute. Permitless carry going as expected. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. when a neighbor, it's always a Florida man too. When a neighborly dispute, like here's someone's house and here's my house, you know what caused what allowed for that shooting to happen? It was people being able to carry guns in public. Yeah, clearly permitless. Yeah, without a yeah. permit. Yeah, that's why these two neighbors got in an altercation. Mm-hmm. One of them got killed. Yeah, because Ron the sanctimonious. Exactly. You know that's what happened. But don't worry, I know he didn't flash his permit before. Because mm-hmm. typically, when I get in a gunfight. I'm always making sure that my permit's on display. Well, before he wanted to carry a gun onto his neighbor's property and kill him, but he <laughs> had to have a permit for it, you know? But now that he's got permitless carry, he's like, well, I'm just going to walk right over there across mm-hmm. this uh, blade of grass over yeah. there. I'm going to kill that guy. Exactly. Ron Sanders has permitless carry. <laughs> That's right. So Also, uh, <laughs> is there any other state where this happens? Florida man. You, so do you ever Florida see man. like Illinois you, man? You search Florida man. And yeah. it's, it's funny. Tennessee man <laughs> does this. It's always Florida man. Okay. Don't worry though, folks. I know you're getting scared, uh, but Biden, that's the president, the, the stretchy one. Um, Biden is creating a new office of gun violence prevention. Yeah. And so we're going gonna to be under the ministry of truth. <laughs> we're going to be able to solve <laughs> this one. I've got the article. Oh, there's my email. Yeah. I've got the article from the Washington post. Biden on Friday will announce the creation of a new office for gun violence prevention and escalation of the administration's efforts to tackle the issue amid stalled progress in Congress. According to four people briefed on it. That's what you do as president. When, the people's representatives 
are not told by the people that something is important enough for the government to do, mm. the executive just comes in and does it. Well, you got to do something. Mm-hmm. No, you got you to. Know. What kind of a-hole doesn't do something? You got to do something. Make some kind of effort. Uh, let's see. Biden and Vice President Harris are scheduled to announce the new office at an event. Uh, Greg Jack- Jackson, gun violence survivor, who's the executive director, whatever. Uh, new office will report up through Stephanie Feldman, the White House staff secretary and longtime Biden policy analyst. Uh, basically, uh, basically, they're going to stop all. From what I can tell here is they're going to stop gun violence. Mm. And so that's good. Yeah, I like that. Uh, leadership this on whole time we just needed an, we just needed mm-hmm. an office well yeah i mean it would have saved this guy's life in florida you're saying yeah. it's not important mm-hmm. come on man come on man all right that's all number three we gotta go i don't know how i mean that doesn't seem real dumb I, it seems like that might be like the best news all week now not only can biden stretch his left leg up to touch his butt start gun violence prevention offices gonna prevent gun violence uh they are also the president biden campaign is launching a strategy to combat misinformation on social media good maybe they'll call it the misinformation governance board uh, i'm not really sure what they're going to call it um now specifically president biden's campaign is doing this to combat misinformation probably to combat all that misinformation about the economy not being so great under mm-hmm. bidenomics yeah you know and some people i'm not saying us and i'm not saying people in the group say that Biden did not actually create 13 million new jobs since he came into office, Mm. that some of those jobs are just jobs that were turned back on after the government stopped shutting down the economy. Mm. And you got to shut down some, there are even some people who say that there's uh, a a corruption scheme in the Biden family uh, where people are paying his son uh, to, to have access to him and so they can get favorable treatment around the world. Like there, there's people that say this. And so I understand that you've got to create a, yeah. uh, a um, some strategy. About, some about boats and hose too. Mm-hmm. And crack. <laughs> exactly. You know, and Hunter, la- laptops. I'm, man, mm. someone should have made the, like newly uncovered from Hunter Biden laptop. And it's the boats and hose video. Only it's <laughs> Hunter Biden's face yeah. over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That'd be a pretty good one. I'm just saying for people who do that kind of thing, I don't have time to do it. Okay, uh, he's got swim trunks and flippy floppies. Biden's re-election campaign is creating the working group centered on combating misinformation on social media networks. The group will be led by Rob Flaherty, deputy campaign manager, Michael Tyler, communications director. I don't care about all those people. The goal of the cross campaign effort is to publicly push back on disinformation with an army of folks, an army like Harry Sissons. Sissons? Exactly, is that right? I say Sison. It could Sison. be Sisson. I'm not really sure which one it is. Well, uh, there's a hockey player in Nashville, or used to be Colton Sissons. Sisson probably actually makes more so, sense. What a sissy. I take He's issue with their wording here because he is gathering up an army of folks who can push back. Are they threatening violence? Mm. Are they threatening to destroy democracy? That's what T Dub here says too. That's, Combating, jeez, violent combat and an army. Mm. That's dangerous. Yeah. Okay. Luckily, they only have F-35s. It's going to be Jan-, Jan 6 all over again, but worse. Yeah, that's pretty bad. Okay, so number four, that's a misinformation thing. As you can tell, we're pushing through these kind of quickly because, like usual, we're going to get bogged down on the back end. Mm. <laughs> okay? That's so we're kind of pushing through. What she said. Biden, not only can he stretch his left leg up to his butt, 
He can make his foot touch his butt mm. back there. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't even think I can do that kind of thing. So I can't run for president. Which is what you want every 82 okay. year old to be able to do. He's going to end gun violence. He's going to combat with an army misinformation. He found the F-35 and it's a stealth plane. Mm-hmm. Can you find stealth planes, Charlie? No. No, no last that's not that. on my resume. Not only that, he is taking executive action to launch the American Climate Corps, a workforce initiative that mm-hmm. will train over 20,000 young people for good-paying jobs in the clean energy and climate resilience economy. Mm. Because if there's anything that worthwhile good-paying jobs need is the government to train them because before that no one was ever able to ever perform any important jobs in the economy um aoc is happy about this charlie what she have that's because his cams are all wrong mr wizard (laughs) you know so basically he's creating a spoon job if you know the old milton friedman oh yeah yeah. analogy um if you don't look it up i'm not going to explain it to you aoc though said major victory today party emoji and if it was live, you could see the party confetti. Imagine confetti flying over mm. your face right now. And she yelled the word major. So she's really excited about this. In 2021, we proposed the climate core and launched a massive inside outside organizing effort to win it. Today, the American climate core has finally come true. Thank you. POTUS and the countless communities and organizers who made this a reality. Strong man emoji. That's a strong man emoji that AOC is using. <laughs> and it's a white, seems, it's a white arm. Yeah. Well, that, that looks a little, you think there's some, that looks tone? a little Latin. Yeah. But, Latinx. Com- yeah, but compare the tone to mm-hmm. her profile photo right there. This is a misappropriation of skin color. If I've ever seen it looks similar. Okay. I'll give her credit on that. They've got a logo. American climate Corps probably paid $800,000 for it. More than likely. All right. Don't worry, Charlie. I want to figure out what's in it. So I signed up for it. Nice. <laughs> I, want trained. To, I want to see what's in it. <laughs> you should go. Get, you should actually go get trained. That would be awesome. President Biden announcing a new initiative to train. Uh, we need more of that, by the way. We need to infiltrate some of these places. Yeah. yeah. Just to I, see what's going I signed, on. I signed up. Hey, yeah, you might be too scared to sign up you at home. Okay. But I'm willing to put my life on the line in the mm-hmm. climate core. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to get medals, all kinds of stuff. I won't pay for a drink for the rest of my life. <laughs> you'll get the, you'll get a blue heart. They're going to train young people in high demand skills. If they're high demand skills, why is the government coming together to train them <laughs> for these jobs? Yeah. Like that, they're in such high demand that people are, are seeking these out. Uh, here are some of the things uh, that you might be interested in. I had to select these things as I was signing up. So I took a screenshot of that deploy low cost, reliable, clean energy. Yeah. I want to learn how to do that. Implement energy efficient solutions to help families save money on their energy bills. That's a big one. Cause you, you know, know, energy bills have gone down mm-hmm. over the last just like 20 bills. years, yeah. you know, it's saving $2,500 uh, per family, I per think. family, for family, for the average family of four. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I kept my doctor. Mm hmm. A rebuild coastal wetlands to because you know they all fell apart, all of them, mm-hmm. and so it, you got to have the trained young climate core. We just got to hold that ocean back mm-hmm. from you know it, the damage that it does right next to its coast to protect coastal communities from storm surges and flooding. Yeah, because that yeah. Mm-hmm. Manage yeah. forests to prevent catastrophic wildfires. So you got to sweep your forests. Yeah, you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, protect America's public lands and waters for future generations. That's, I wonder if you get like an, an M4 with that or something to protect the public lands. 
enhance agricultural systems to protect natural resources. That's what all these farmers need is a bunch of kids from the American Climate Corps coming out there to tell them how to enhance their agri- yeah. agricultural systems. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They need this. Uh, advance environmental justice to ensure all Americans live in healthy, thriving communities. So you're going to get a badge and a gun. For you environmental go. justice. <laughs> be on the, you can be on the American Climate Corps SWAT team. SWAT team. <laughs> okay, so like I said, I so saw, you selected all those. I selected every single one of them. Yeah. I said I'd like to learn more about joining the American Climate Corps, and I put in my... Um, and you want to support information it? and you want to host members of the American climate Corps at a project site. If it would have said podcast, I would have selected that one, but yeah. uh, we just, what'd uh, you put in the open, open ended comment box? Anything else you'd like to share? Uh, I hate capitalism. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. that's all I said. Okay. The American climate Corps dumb bleep number five. Um, let's go. Okay. Well, what time is it? 1130. So I'm going to skip Number six, it's a Robert Reich video. So now I'll, all these are going to be out of whack. Well, it's still, it's going to be a dead number six. Okay. Okay. We'll, we'll skip over it. You can still vote for it. Robert, Robert Reich the third. <laughs> I bet you everyone's. Um, he's, <laughs> he wants a federal jobs guarantee. I thought you were going to skip it. Like I'm tuning you out now. Okay. It's a dead number six. Okay. You can't vote for like, it. So it's like a dead button in poker. I'm going to have to delete it from the voting channel. I know what's going to yeah. happen. I already know. You know, in poker, when the, the dealer goes out. Yeah. Or the, it's the a next, dead button. It's a dead button mm-hmm. because you still have to pay the blinds. Yep. All right. Well, we just paid the blinds and on I feel that like one. I explain that at every home game I go to. <laughs> it's a true. dead button. It's a true. That last one was rough. Yeah. A lot of explanation going on there. Coming up, we're going to go through some more Dumb Bleep submissions. Those were some pretty good ones so far. I don't know what's going to win. The live group is going to decide. We're going to talk about a lot of uh, socialist economic policies coming up. We'll be talking about Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky coming up. As always, you can listen to us every day on Good Morning Liberty on your favorite podcast app. Go to BernieLies.com or find us on Free Talk Live on their podcast channel as well or every Tuesday night on Free Talk Live. This is Liberty at Night with Nate and Charlie on the Free Talk Live Network. We are going to continue running through what we call Dumb Bleep of the Week. What was the dumbest thing said in politics over the week? Okay, Ryan Knight. Uh, we got a chart. Knight. We got Knight. We got a chart here for those of you listening. You should go watch on YouTube or Rumble. We got a chart about net personal wealth, and it's divided by the top 1%, 10%, 50 to 90th, and the bottom half. Now, here's something that's important. His top 1%, 10%, 50 to 90th, and bottom half, those are income percentiles, and he's looking at the wealth of each of these people. I did some digging to figure out to make sure that that's what he was talking about. Mm. So he's looking at those income brackets and what their wealth is. That's important. Charlie, what do you say? He says, the purple line, if you're not watching the video, this the, the biggest line is purple. Mm is the average wealth of the top 1%. Notice how decade after decade, it just keeps going up, up, up. The blue and red lines are the average wealth of 90% of Americans. Notice how it never goes up. 
It goes up. It does go up. Yeah, it looks like that's up still. We got what's called the y-axis problem, but we'll talk I just, about that. I hate absolutes. Mm-hmm. He says it never he goes said up. Never. And yeah, that's it's, not true. It's literally going up. Yeah. This is life. And you know, when I say that to people, they'll be like, oh, you're schematic, 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 semantics, schematic, schematics, schematics, and semantics. You just like, you just want to be right. I'm like, no, I just want to talk about the truth. Mm-hmm. Okay. My brain can't get past the fact that you're fucking lying. Yeah. All right. This is life under U.S. capitalism and what voting for the duopoly gets you. Okay. Well, he's against the duopoly. Yeah. So there's one positive he's, you can he's take at from it. Proud socialist. Yeah. So he yeah. wants the socialist party to do well. Has he seen the lines from Which, the from the socialist governments <laughs> in the past? That wasn't real socialism. Oh, that's the yeah. That's so the no, he doesn't have any lines to check back on because no one's implemented real socialism. So okay, I want to tell you why this is so dumb, and it's it's a little difficult, but it's not really. We've got income brackets here. And we're looking at their wealth. All right. If we look at this chart, as Charlie said, the actual lines do go up at the bottom. First off, what we have here is called the Y axis problem. When you throw in something that say is between zero and million, and then you also have something that goes up to 16 million, even if the one down at the bottom goes from like 5,000 up to 400,000, it looks like it doesn't move because the, the scale of the graph is so large. It goes all the way from zero to 16. And so when you look at it on the graph, it looks like it doesn't move. You could in fact have a larger percentage move on the bottom lines and not know it because they are crammed down so small because of the scale of are, the axis on the graph. Them, them are thick lines. They are pretty thick lines. Mm-hmm. So it does, they, they do actually go up. You can see things like uh, this chart right here, 50th to 90th wealth percentiles going, this is total, going from 8 million up to 40 million. So there's a 5X right there, but you can't see it when it's squished down on a, on a wider chart like that. Now it's also average, so then you're averaging amongst the uh, amount of people. Okay, here's the other crazy thing about a chart like this. Imagine, Charlie, you are in the 50 to 90th percentile of earners. Okay, Mm -hmm. and you're earning and you're earning and you're putting back wealth and you're putting back wealth all the while adding money to this red line that never goes up. Okay, but eventually you get to the point where now you have entered into the top 10%. Okay? You're no longer in the 50th to 90th percentile because you've been saving and you've been earning more money and you've been doing better and better at your job. As you skip from the 50th to the 90th to the top 10%, your money leaves the 50 to 90th percentile and moves into the top 10% percentile. Meaning... Despite what Jesus said, that you can't take your treasures with you. Yeah. Here on this chart, you do take your treasure with you. You start to be counted in a different bracket after that. And that's the problem with brackets. Meaning, meaning, (laughs) except for in March Madness, brackets are great. Yeah. You know, meaning that as your condition improves, when you are looking at the data like this, it's nearly impossible for the numbers to go up. Because as you do better, you move into a new bracket and the old bracket you just left looks worse after you leave it and it never moves. And as you move up and say you move all the way up to the top 1%, the top 1% eventually gets all the money that you made and all the other ones are dead after that. They don't have it anymore. Okay. And so that's how it's, 
it, it's really dumb to look at the the numbers like this in the first place. You should follow the same people over the time of their life. Boom. Yeah. Thank you. Right there. Uh, percent of American adults who reach various income distribution levels and they followed the same people over a 44 year period. All right. How many people make it in the top or stay? Here's the important. How many people stay in the top 1% for 10 consecutive years? Only 0.6% of the Americans that they followed stayed in the top 1% for 10 years. Where they end up for a year or more, 12% of Americans made it into the top 1% of income earners. And that, that aligns with most businesses fail. Yes. <laughs> the top, uh, how about top 5%? 39% of the Americans they followed made it into the top 5% for one year or more. 56% of the Americans followed made it into the top 10% and 73% of the people they followed made it into the top 20% for one year or more. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's called income mobility. And it's something that's actually still pretty good in the U S it typically goes with age unless you like hit it big or you meet a guy at a bar like Charlie did and get a really good job. You know, <laughs> yeah. something like that. You learned a lot of very valuable mm -hmm. skills. As <laughs> you learned the skills at a gay bar. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yep. You have to tell your story sometime. No, it's going to be a big episode. I just want to leave it at that. <laughs> I don't want people guess. And so here's the problem. I think on last week's episode, you said, man, we got to get better at, at distilling this down to a simple message to send to people. And the problem is life is not as simple as these people make it out to be. We got to figure out a way to make it simple. I know. We yeah. have to find a way to say this. Simplify this. So that is why I thought Don't Believe Number 7, the uh, what I call it, wealth and capitalism, was so very, very dumb. Just the fact that as you move up in the brackets, your money leaves the one and goes into the other mm. is self-defeating for the point that you're making. Well, it's actually good for the point you're trying to make because it makes your point also but just think about this okay to graph out the top one percent ten percent fifty to ninety and the bottom half like it's always going to be that way because you're literally separating people by the percentage the people at the bottom are not going to have as much wealth as the people at the top that's why they're in the bottom this is obvious but it, what matters is are they going to move to the top and in fact a lot of people do not all the way to the top one percent mm -hmm. but 39 percent i think for the top 10 percent and it was like 73 uh, percent for the 50 to 90th i believe no, it was top 20%. Sorry, yeah. that was the number. That's the bleep. I can tell you in my life, I've moved from the bottom <clears throat> to the to the mid. Did you start from the bottom? And now I'm here. And now you're here? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I have. I've actually been in all the brackets, technically. Okay. And uh, By starting at the bottom, do you mean you were getting paid a lot you, of money as an actor on a Disney program when you were really young? Yeah. Okay. In a wheelchair. Because some people's bottom... Starts in a wheelchair. It's really rough. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He was in a wheelchair, though. That's how it rolls. Yeah, exactly. I've been in, no, I have been, I can tell, and I can tell you right now, I'm no, like, I'm not in the top 1% right now. You're not? I've been in there before. Ooh. I'm not there now. How about that? So that happens. It's called, you've heard of gender fluidity. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. This is wealth yeah. fluidity. Mm -hmm. All right. Are you in the top five? Yeah, I'm in the top yeah, five. Definitely top five. Yeah, I'm in the top five. Top five, top five. I All haven't right. moved out of the top five in a while, but. 
I've, I've been fluctuating between one and five. All right, number. <laughs> and I'm thinking about going back to the bottom. <laughs> the last <laughs> We haven't even hit that part yet. We're not there yet. So let's <laughs> see what happens on the tape next year sometime, probably. Uh, you got to be in the Fed Haters Club to know what comment we're responding yeah. to right now. <laughs> not going to tell everyone else. Uh, let me tell you about number eight. Nina Turner tweeted out this amazing post. I, <laughs> I happen to agree with her. She doesn't. That's the problem. Like, I. I'm on her side, but she's not. And to uh, to quote Milton Friedman, Nina Turner for number eight says workers. I love that line. I'm on yeah. her side, but she's not. <laughs> so good. Workers are entitled to the fruits of their labor. I think she's getting them. We're planting seeds. Now, unfortunately, she is talking about the UAW strike of and course. people needing to get a 46% pay raise uh, over, work, over, over the term. Only work the 32 hours a week and get paid for 40. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, People should start a business that way. You know, like mm-hmm. rather than trying to get that from another company, you should start your own company and be like, okay, as the owner of this company, I get to set the rules. Yeah. So I'm going to pay myself for 40 and only work 32. No, you know, in this, you know, in this little infant baby company that I'm creating and just see how that works out for you. What you should do is when you're doing your company and you're billing out, your company's billing out hours. Okay, you should say, I only work 32 hours for you guys this week, yeah. but I'm going to charge you for 40. But, yeah, exactly. Because of fairness. And, and see how your um, clients. Equity. Mm, yeah. See how that works out for you. Yeah. And we should mm. do that everywhere. You know, when you go to visit your doctor and he or lawyers, a good example, mm-hmm. they typically bill every like six minutes or 10 minutes, something like that. Well, they, so psychiatrists already do this. They, they bill you for an hour and only do 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's what it, too many people go on psychiatrists. That's probably, that's probably what it is. Everybody should do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Nina Turner. She says workers are entitled to the fruits of their labor. Good morning. Liberty at good AM Liberty on X. Those guys says, so you're against taxation. Because she said workers are entitled to the fruits of their labor. Uh-huh. I happen to agree with her. And then this person, Jean-Luc, says... Jean? <laughs> Jean-Luc? Says, uh, money isn't the fruits of our labor. Then what is, Jean? So... What would be the fruit? What, Jean, because this, this kept going... This guy's thinking about fruit, like actual, like apples. Jean-Luc <laughs> kept... What's funny is they people were arguing and talking about apples and people were using examples of like orchards and things. I haven't even seen yeah. this. And I just and so know. they started talking How about actual fruits because that's where the conversation naturally goes. The, the chart that you pulled up, <clears throat> I predicted that. Mm-hmm. Now I'm predicting this. There you go. And you guys wonder if I have some kind of crystal ball or something. <laughs> and the answer is I don't. I wasn't privy to this information before. I'll let you know. I do zero of the show prep. That all comes from Nathaniel Paul Thurston. He's the one that's running the show. I get to show up and be the talent, <laughs> which is nice. I got to tell you, you know, I can go to Vegas whenever I want. Although I let Nate take five vacations this year. You Thank know, you. So yeah, everything's fine. Yeah. I don't have a crystal ball or anything. I didn't no. get this information beforehand. It's just this. <laughs> is this going to go on the radio? This sh- is so predictable. Mm-hmm. You don't need. You don't need any type of crystal ball or I didn't shake my magic eight ball or anything like that. I just happen to know where these things go. And I agree. Costco talent is being used extremely loose here. It's a very loose term because what you're bringing is way better. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Because talent wishes it was me. (laughs) 
talent brings in Charlie yeah, to do exactly. things. Okay, Jean-Luc says money isn't the fruits of our labor. And uh, as the conversation goes on, what you will find is that what he means are the products that people are making when they are at work, that that is the fruit of your so labor. So they should get paid in products. Exactly. <laughs> and so, exactly. Thank you. Thank you. Because we're talking about UAW <laughs> yeah. here, and we're talking about uh, the cars that people are making. So if you making. make passenger side doors... <laughs> You should be sent home with passenger side doors, a percentage of so them. many passenger side doors. <laughs> yeah. And then you and try to sell them. <laughs> you go. You no, you don't money. sell them. You carry oh, you the can. passenger side door to yeah. a farmer. Yeah. Okay. And you say, hey, <laughs> that's a nice looking corn stalk you got right there, man. Uh, don't mind me saying. Be a shame if you needed a passenger <laughs> yeah. side front yeah. door. Let me ask you something. How many passenger side doors for a yeah. uh, 2024 <laughs> GMC? Whatever you Denali, <laughs> you got, yeah. as and uh, as a high end, the farmer is like, uh, well, sir, as a matter of fact, I tend to have about 800 too many corn stalks right here. And what I'd like to have is a passenger side door. So he gets the, yeah. uh, the guy with the door gets the corn stalks. And can okay. you send Billy over with the bumpers? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's still working in bumpers, right? <laughs> And so, so the farmer gets the passenger side door. Who's that guy that puts door. it all together? Cause I don't know how to do yeah. that. <laughs> the farmer God, these guys are stupid farmer falls off the combine one day okay which he had to use a lot of passenger side doors to get all right we don't have to go through that entire yeah. transaction history mm-hmm. but it took a while he falls off the combine he's to go to the doctor yeah and you know what he notices as he's walking in the building but the the doctor's car that's missing a passenger side door <laughs> Which works out perfectly for him. Yes, it yeah. works out well, so he didn't, good. He didn't walk in because he was hurt. True, you know. <laughs> money yeah. as money is a medium you imagine, of exchange. Imagine finding all the nuts and bolts, guys. All the different nuts and bolts yeah. that people. It's like someone trying to pay in pennies, but instead they have nuts Ex- and bolts. Exactly. For the, he's like, with a passenger side door, does that bolt work there? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I got, a, I got a door, but the, the bolt guy didn't come by the other day. Okay, oh, God. And so what we do instead. As we use money as a medium of exchange. So you made this. Okay, well, we're going to give you money. And in fact, when you're working for a business who has all the capital to get all these things and put it together and even pay you, even if they're losing money like Tesla did for a long time, what you do is the fruits of your labor is the money that you agreed to work for. Because when you went to this person, you said, hey, I would like to work. In exchange for my work, you're going to give me money. I don't want passenger side doors, Elon. Okay? They're too heavy mm-hmm. on the Tesla. All right? What I want is just some money. Let's just work this out, and then I'll go and buy stuff at the store. You know? We'll and imagine, So imagine if you really did have to take the to exchange products like that. Mm-hmm. No one would be making any of the big stuff. No, you, you, you it's would, too heavy. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it wouldn't matter if they paid you a million front doors for every front door that you made, which would be impossible. But it wouldn't matter if they even offered you that. But the perfect because I would be wanting to work, you know, like in the feather business. <laughs> Much be, easier. I'd be one of you make pillows. Make yeah, like the my pillow guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the most comfortable, terrible pillow there is out there. I don't know. <laughs> I've never they, used. Are they good? Somebody had one one time. It's awful. Oh, yeah. Heard they're racist. It, it, Don't trust democracy. I laid down on it and instantly yeah. I started hating so black people. You had racist thoughts entering <laughs> in the back of your head. Just like a yeah. connection. Yeah. <laughs> um, long story short, we use money. Now, 
Here's the problem with this money thing. The government issues the currency, and they typically like to devalue your currency as more and more time goes on. Using money is the way that it should be done. It is bartering, only we use, we use pieces of paper as representations of the things that we created. All right? And so that's what you're getting when you're at a job. So Which yes, makes money. it a fruit. So money is the fruit of your labor because that's what you agreed to work for. And Nina says that you're entitled to the fruits of her labor. Nina is against taxation. Boom. And well, that doesn't make it dumb then. Okay, we're skipping number nine also because of time. Uh, so we can spend talking about number 10. That's a dead number nine. I've already removed it from the group. Don't even try to Wait, vote on it. Did you dead six and nine? <laughs> I did. <laughs> I did. 69 has been 69. Has dead been, you know, my watch is stuck on six, nine. How about that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Zelensky. So you can't vote for number six or nine. So, uh, thanks, Elon. Zelensky out here talking very important things. As you know, Ukraine's going through a tough situation right now. And so the president has to come out and he's got to let the world know very, very important things that people need to know about. And so he's out here talking about, of course, how everyone else needs to spend their money. Every time Zelensky comes to town, I, I feel like, I, I do feel like, now there was one, the Babylon Bee. What has he got around his neck there? Is that a collar? Oh, he's a shirt with a collar on. Oh, maybe the uh, UN has a dress code. Is that Zelensky? Are you sure? Is that where he was? Could be a body double. Sure that's maybe. Zelensky? Yeah, it could be oh. him. I'm sure he's out there fighting the war, hand-to-hand combat right yeah. now, riding a stallion. Okay, anyhow, every time I every time he comes to town, it feels like now the Babylon Bee said it's like when the offering plate is passed around when he comes into town. Uh, I also feel like when you go to a bar and the lead singer comes down with the uh, tip jar, you're like, "Play more songs. Go play more." And instead, she's walking around with a jar asking you for money. Mm-hmm. It's kind of what it feels like when Zelensky comes to town. And though humanity is failing on its climate policy objectives. This means that extreme weather will still impact the normal global life and some evil state will also weaponize its outcomes. And when people in the streets of New York and other cities of the world went out on climate protests, we all have seen them. And when people in Morocco and Libya and other countries die as a result of natural disasters. And when islands and countries disappear underwater, and when tornadoes and deserts are spreading into new territories, and when all of this is happening, one unnatural disaster in Moscow decided to launch a big war and kill tens of thousands of people. That was kind of hard to follow. It sounded like he had a peanut butter on the roof of his mouth or something. Here's what's important. Climate change is going to be weaponized by Russia. Mm. Okay. That's what you need to take away from it. Not only do How we much have to did do you get paid for this speech. <laughs> not only do we have to do all this stuff to try and help Ukraine fight Russia and do all this other climate change stuff. Now climate change is also going to hurt Ukraine because it's going to make evil actors be more likely to do things. Climate change. <laughs> climate change. <laughs> Oh, man. Dr. Evil. That's perfect. It's perfect to have Dr. Evil. Imagine being imagine being in a war, a legit war where a world superpower invades your country. Tens of thousands of people are dying. And you go up to give a speech and you decide that you're going to shill for climate change. I have a prediction. That's it's not going to come true. 
But you know what I would do if I were them? In the rebuilding process of Ukraine, which is going to be a lucrative money-making enterprise, given all of the banks and, that are getting involved over there already, what Ukraine needs to become is the clean energy center Beacon. for the world. Mm-hmm. And we need to be developing maybe some factories. And so I don't know, whatever, making solar panels or, or whatever it is. But that's what their economy needs to be transformed into in this yeah. process. And of course, let's give them a little bit of money to start it out. But it's going to help us because we're going to fight climate change, which will prevent Russia from invading again. What they need to do is they probably should set up like some wind turbines that could harness the power of the wind that's created from the nuclear bomb drop, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and that yeah, way when the, when it, you can, they'll spin real fast. You just capture all the energy. I'm following. Yeah. yeah I follow you. Okay. Essentially. Yeah. Uh, I was trying to that figure way the out the nuclear bomb doesn't go to waste. I've been trying to figure out, I wish um, maybe someone can help us with this death toll here. They've talked about the flooding in Libya, which a lot of people died in Libya from this recent flooding, like 10,000 or something. What's weird is he said natural disaster. Mm. Yeah. So you would think, if we could stop it, it would be unnatural. Yeah, that doesn't seem. Yeah. No, he means climate change induced disaster. Not, not natural. Yeah, it's not natural immunity. I was trying to figure out where people have been really worried about this stuff in Libya. And it is terrible and tragic. A lot of people died. We're it, against death. You know what else happened in Libya, Libya, where a lot of people died? American bombs. <laughs> Being like, dropped from drones. Like us overthrowing their government and yeah. them tipping into a civil war and tens of thousands of people dying and the whole place turning into a way, way, way worse hellhole than it was beforehand. Yeah. Get off, yeah. It kind of kind of seems like that's also important. It's important to me. And, and, it's and by also, the way, that wasn't natural. No, yeah. that's something. It wasn't you, like natural bombs <laughs> dropped and created natural bomb deaths. We don't even have to invest. Natural drones. Think about this investment <laughs> opportunity. You want to save 10,000 people from dying by flood in Libya. Okay, so we need to invest trillions of dollars into the economies to transition to green yeah. energy. Or you want to save tens of thousands of people from dying in a civil war that we created. You just don't go over there and start killing people. Yeah. Imagine the one listen. of those is way cheaper than the other one. I'm just saying. Could you imagine like knocking on someone's door in Libya and be like, hey, hey man, I know we blew up your family. We're here to support. Yeah. What's left of your family mm-hmm. from dying from this flood? Yeah. Just donate here. <laughs> you give us your money. Yeah, could sign this climate change petition. We'll make sure that the yeah. weather does not take the rest of and your family. Like, oh, will you please not drop any more bombs? No, ma'am. We can't promise that. We don't know. <laughs> we don't know if we can promise not dropping any bombs. But what we can do is make sure that we take all of your money to fight this this natural climate so it doesn't change anymore all right we're up on a hard stop i hate to do that to you but go to join gmail.com the fed haters club to see who won dumb bleep of the week we will be back next tuesday liberty night with nate and charlie on the free talk live network if you want to move to the free state looking for some real estate well i know a guy who's really great it's the realtor mark warden now you can learn more about the awesome things happening here in new hampshire in our march toward liberty in our lifetime our friends at porcupine real estate are hosting a series of webinars to educate you on the expanded freedoms enjoyed by new hampshire citizens reserve your seat today at move.freetalklive.com 
Topics include gun freedom, medical freedom, and political freedom victories. They also have a couple on best practices for moving to the free state and finding housing. These webinars are super helpful and free to attend once you've registered at move.freetalklive.com. Visit their YouTube channel, Porcupine Real Estate, for videos from past presentations and sign up for upcoming webinars for free at move.freetalklive.com. Porcupine Real Estate.com.